Thursday, June the 9th, 2022. We've got an action-packed episode of That's What G Said podcast. We've got a Belmont Stakes preview here. We'll also get into some Friday racing from Belmont. They've got a lot of stakes races there on Friday. We'll get you some Santa Anita Friday. Then on Saturday, we'll also hit Louisiana Downs for their, their full card. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali join me for a horse-by-horse look at the Belmont. And then uh, we'll talk a little NBA with Eric recapping Game 3, an instant reaction as the Celtics go up two games to one in the NBA Finals, and then some wrestling with Chad Cooper. We get into the news, WWE with the Hell in a Cell review, and then Monday Night Raw, and then we get into NXT with uh, In Your House and the Tuesday episode of NXT. I'll talk a little bit about AEW, because I'm recording late Wednesday after uh, having watched AEW Dynamite, so... We'll get into all of that. This week, the schedule may be a little bit different. I'm uh, heading out of town to Oklahoma for a good friend's wedding. Congratulations, uh, Justin. So I will be... uh, There might be a few things that you may normally hear on an episode or two of That's What G Said that I'll probably be posting on social media via videos, via tweets, via posts. So... You'll get some extra Santa Anita stuff there for Saturday, for Sunday. You'll get some more Louisiana Down stuff for Sunday and Monday and then on into Tuesday. For Obi-Wan, oh, I didn't even want to talk about it. I'm, I'm frustrated. Recorded a full episode of uh, Deep Dive with Matt Velasco on part three and uh, lost the audio. This is one of the first times I can remember that actually happening in, uh, in all the episodes. So we've been pretty lucky in that department. So... We'll talk about part three as well as part four um, coming up uh, early next week with Matt Velasco. So we'll get into Obi-Wan. And I did already finish up a full deep dive into Doctor Strange with Tim Kelly. So I'll play that Doctor Strange deep dive on the episode uh, with Obi-Wan and some more racing a little later on in the week. So that's uh, all the important stuff. Let's dive on into this episode. That's what G said. That's presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets on Twitter. Every single day, there's a live stream schedule of free content for you. Different handicappers, different gamblers from all around the world giving you previews for different games, major sporting events, reasons uh, why they have selected certain games, horses, prop plays. I'm on their hosting events all throughout the week. Give them a follow at BTV Bets. Let's jump on into the NBA. We'll uh, do our instant recap of Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Boston goes up two games to one here. So Eric joins as uh, we jump on into everything that happened in Game 3. Continue to look ahead into the series. NBA with Eric. Following that, we'll get right on into horse racing. Some for Friday, for Saturday, and the Belmont undercard and a horse-by-horse preview for the Belmont. First up, it's NBA with Eric. NBA. Who's hot? Who's hot? Who's hot? Who's Game three of the NBA Finals in the books. Boston goes up two games to one at home. They get the win. Eric joins us. So we haven't had gotten to do many instant reactions quite like this, especially during the NBA Finals. So kind of cool to be able to talk right after the game. This one, Boston dominated throughout, and Golden State came back, took the lead in the third, and looked like they were starting to build some momentum. And then Boston <coughs> punched back pretty nicely. The 
the one thing to me, Eric, that is uh really stood out in these three games, you know, man, we've we've had like a really bad version of Draymond in two of the three. And the two yeah. games they lost, he has been awful, fouled out, not been impactful. He doesn't need to score even at all to be impactful, but he has been really bad on the defensive side, the rebounding side. Those those are the things to me that stand out that have been really hurting Golden State in the games they've lost. Well, I mean, the big adjustment that Golden State made in game two was they had Draymond on Brown. Brown was constantly in the dunker spot. So with Brown being so close to the rim and allowed allowed Draymond to kind of wreak a little havoc. This game, they had Brown playing more in the perimeter, and that drew Draymond away from the basket. So he really wasn't able to get the rebounds or be the nuisance underneath the rim that he was that he was in game two. Um, yeah, the Warriors, you know, they have a little bit of an issue. Like, I really feel like with Draymond on the court, their spacing isn't what it needs to be. I truthfully feel like their best lineup would be Wiggins, Clemenga, Porter, uh, and the two Splash, Splash Brothers, and just run the pick and roll with um, Curry and Wiggins. But then that brings up the big thing with Poole, just because long-term Poole's probably the solution in the backcourt, but short-term, I really don't think he gives them the best chance to win the, to win the series. And if they mm-hmm. are serious about winning the series, I think Kaminga gives them a better chance right now. It's it's one thing, too, with, um, you know, in watching these games, it's funny, because it, it bothers the hell out of me when I watch Boston play and when I watch, like, the Clippers play. And there are just certain teams that they play hard, but they are just allowed to get so hand checky. I mean, they are allowed to get every player on Boston, which they they bust their ass. They're outworking Golden State. If you were calling actual fouls, you would Marcus Smart would have 15. I mean, Williams is a cheap shot. Horford tonight was they were they were more aggressive. That's fine. Tonight, what was bothering me a little bit was some of the cheap stuff. There was some diving at the legs and stuff. They did that with Curry a few times. I, I'm fine with the playing tough and playing hard. There was a few of those things that were bothering me a little bit tonight. But but here's the thing. If the if the officials are going to allow the game to be played that way, if that's what they're going to call it, Boston's going to take advantage and going to win. If it's called that way consistently on both sides, I'm okay with it. And if it is, it's going to lean in Boston's favor. Boston is going to be the team that that is is going to win if it's if it's officiated more like a fight, you know, if they are allowing a lot more to happen. Yeah, I mean, but we kind of expect that Boston was going to like punch back after what happened yesterday, last week with um, last week, Jesus, last game with um, with Draymond. We had to expect that they were going to punch back with how they were embarrassed last game. I mean, I I thought sure they were going to win this game I was pretty confident you know I said why I was betting them um it's going to be interesting to see what adjustments Kerr makes um the physicality I mean it's the NBA finals you know this is what you can expect um but that's really not who Boston is besides Marcus Smart no one else is really that physical on that team there are a lot of finesse players uh I thought it was interesting Hortford and Williams were on the court a lot more than I thought Williams got got a lot more run Robert Williams that is than I thought um kind of an interesting interesting little game plan um Poole did not Poole's usually off the bench by the six minute mark he didn't come off I think to the five or the four minute mark in the first first quarter so uh I don't know it was um 
it was a beat down. The game was never really that close. I mean, the Warriors got that fluky, like, seven-point trip down the court. But, um, yeah, it really wasn't – it was never really that close of a game. See, I, I completely feel differently. I, I don't I haven't watched any of these games and been been impressed with anything Boston's been doing more than their like effort. I, I feel like it Golden State hasn't really even played a good game yet. And they've been like they they had the lead in this game when Draymond was like like non-existent. And I think I I'm getting frustrated. It, it, to me, it, it reminds me of the San Francisco 49ers in football. It, it frustrates me when there are teams that just sort of keep getting away with it. And Boston did not. Boston has those third quarter lapses, which like that you can't be a good team and do that. And Golden State just kind of lets them get away with it because they're not playing complete enough. And 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 again, you you were all over this game tonight. You called Boston winning. It's not surprising to me that Boston won. It's surprising to me some of the things on the court that sort of happen along the way to get there. And if they're going to continue to shoot like insane from three and hit every one of their open threes, if the Warriors role players are not really going to play, you know, competitive or good other than, you know, you, you're getting Steph. Clay finally had a game tonight. He that was he was he was a little early, uh, you know, early in the game, finally getting involved. But they they're going to need a little bit more. It, it Boston's playing harder. They're playing better. But it just like. I haven't felt like Golden State's played well. I, th- I think as overall, that's sort of what why I've been a little bit flat, like flat by Boston's run, and not like as as wanting to anoint them as other people have, like this particular team. I just don't feel like they've been able to, or they've had to face other teams' best efforts a whole lot. And and when they have, they've been beat. And tonight was like Golden State played so poorly for a lot. Like I agree with you in that. Golden State got outplayed for most of the game. What makes me, you know, at someone watching the game just going, how were they even in that game? They had that, like you said, that kind of fluky seven-point play, which is not going to happen much. But they they were sort of back in it for a while, and then they flattened out. I just, if... But I mean, like, also, like, with to your point with how they're in it, Boston still makes a ton of mistakes. That That's why. Yeah, that's... They miss a lot of threes. Well, they both, both of these teams do. They're just not yeah. clean. They're awful with the ball. And that has been, to Boston's credit, they are limiting what Golden State does when they don't turn the ball over. But Golden State's getting the majority of their points and their best looks off of turnovers, like almost like a ton and very efficient, especially with, you know, something like that seven point play. Like those make those make your efficiency numbers go crazy when you have like a points per possession thing like that. And, you know, but their numbers were very, very good off turnovers. That's really all Golden State was able to do. And they weren't able to get, like you said, what ended up happening with Draymond, like, which which is what disappoints me a little. If if he was having a tougher time, you know, just sort of defensively because Brown was pulling him out, then that's that's sort of understandable, right? Like where people make teams make adjustments, then you gotta sort of adjust the next game. So we'll see how how Golden State can maybe counter that to get Draymond in a better in a better spot defensively where it feels like he can do more. You know, maybe you, you have somebody else on Brown and you sort of give up a little there, but you just have Draymond in a spot where he can help out more and maybe that help and, and guard the rim a little bit more because Boston overall was just getting to the rim tonight, right? Yeah. Just at will. And then what ended up happening, Eric, it felt like it it felt like it like kind of sucked the life out of Draymond on the offensive side. 
in just like the playmaking. I didn't see him sort of flying around, you know, setting his screens, doing as much to get Steph and Clay open looks. They had good games tonight, but they made some tough shots. Yeah, I mean, Boston, with how Boston plays defense, um, it kind of forced Golden State to get away with what they normally do with the Freeman of movement. Golden State's gone to a lot more pick and roll action than we saw, than we've seen during the regular season and during the playoffs. They've gone a lot more ISO, a lot more pick, pick and roll, a lot more pick and stuff, like trying to do stuff instead of the free movement, the free movement stuff. And then that's the stuff where Draymond's really able to take advantage because he sees the court so well. And that's why I really think that if Kerr is looking in the mirror and says, look, if that's the type of offense we're going to run, a lot more pick and roll you need to be running that pick and roll with Wiggins and then you need to have athletic shooters out there that are good defensively. And that's why I really feel, like I said earlier, like you got to be playing that lineup with like Porter, Kaminga, Thompson, Curry, and Wiggins. That should be the five out there in my opinion, because you have all spacing. You can do the pick and roll with Wiggins and Curry and you can get Wiggins cut in. Then if you run at him, you have a someone in the corner that can shoot. And with how those guys are, they can guard anything Boston throws out there. Clemenga can handle Williams under in the post, no problem. No, I, I, you're you're right. The only thing is, I just don't think they're going to give him run right now because mainly because it's the finals and he hasn't been playing a whole lot recently. I think if this was like the regular season in a, in a or even even maybe a series earlier, they'd give him a look. I just don't, I don't think Steve Kerr would do that. I, yeah. I, you know what I mean? I just don't, I don't know. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I don't know if, do you, now let's say this. That's what you think. Do you think they will do that more than do you think they I don't, should do that? I don't think they will. I mean, it still blows my mind that Poole's getting as much run as he is with how much of a defensive. Just a little look is. at least, right? Give him a few you know, minutes for a run. Just and if to kind of see it. Just, just to kind of see something. If um, he just to mix it up, mix up a look, because if he and the key for me is if he looks just competent and and okay enough confidence on the offensive side to where he's gonna just take a look when he's open and not be, <laughs> you know not be some because sometimes you don't know when when guys until guys get in there and and then you know we get someone who kind of has a few games like Grayson Allen did right where they're just sort of freezing and you you don't want Kuminga to not be in the you don't want him to be out there and not be on the flow offensively too, but you got to give him a look at least a few yeah. minutes and and see. And then he comes in. He if it doesn't make that much of a difference, if it doesn't feel like it, okay, that's fine. But give it a little bit of a look, especially when you're kind of getting beat up a bit. You know, they're they're he's got that youthful you, energy. We saw, yeah, and you need a little toughness too. When they were right? down big, he came in. He gave him a little spark and everything. He played good when he got on the court in the Dallas series. I don't know. That's just one of the many weird things that's going on with the, um, you know, with the Warriors or even hypothetically, let's say, okay, fine. You don't want to put, um, you don't want to put Kaminga in. You can roll out a lineup with Wiggins, Curry, Thompson, Porter, and then Gary Payton. You know what I mean? And then put Wiggins and Curry in the pick and roll. I mean, do a lineup like that. Just that way you can, but we all saw last game how much, Peyton was able to disrupt stuff. Peyton played only 11 minutes tonight, which was really weird. Cause if you look at it, the game before, I think he was there, the player that had the most minutes off the bench for the, 
for the Warriors. And he was really kind of like, excuse me, the spark plug for him. I mean, he only played 11 minutes last night, tonight, excuse me. Um, you know, he had 25 the last game. So I just, I don't know. I really think with what Payne can do defensively, you got to give him a little more run. He gives you guys a little bit, gives the Warriors a little bit more toughness. I agree. He's someone, and I'm not even saying that he's a better option than Kuminga or anything. He's someone that they at least just feel more comfortable with, right? And and I think he gives you a little bit better of an option because he's not someone that's going to light it up offensively either. But you got to have him drive a little too. He can drive. He he's just not like a knockdown shooter and stuff. Yeah. Defensively, he's tough. You know, he's going to be in your face and everything. And he's kind of like, he's got that edge to him. And that's kind of like, need toughness. And like, I'm sorry, but like, Jordan Poole doesn't really emphasize toughness to me with how he's built and how he, how he plays. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting. Like, maybe if they do play um, Peyton more, put Peyton on Brown, that's going to allow Green to get more to the rim a little bit. So that way, it isn't such a big thing on the offensive glass. I think that's the, really the move. Gonna, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's what you have to do. But Igledawa should not be getting run. Like, no, he he's in. got no. He he got in for a couple <laughs> minutes, but he shouldn't get on yeah. the court at all. He, he, I don't. And if you yeah, like a few Peyton on Brown is fine. He's not quite as big, but he's tough and he's a very good defender there. And I think that matches up better for you. But it would just, it would, it would just frustrate the hell out of me if this is because now you know reading everything like Curry might be hurt, you know they're gonna oh, they're but, gonna, they're gonna know more tomorrow and taking a look at it and everyone's, if everyone's hurt right now. You know I, but I mean? no, no, but I mean like he got he got his he got taken out at his yeah. like twice on his legs late in the game. You know and they I don't think the, the Horford court. thing was that dirty though. I don't really think Horford purposely was trying to hurt him. I think he was just. Oh, I, I don't think he was trying. I, that, see, that's that's the thing, right? There's a difference between trying to hurt, but still doing something that's a little bit too much, and that's that's the problem is the jumping at his legs. And if he's out, like I I, I hate this stuff. I hate that stuff. Like and I and and I don't like smart. I don't like the floppers. White's a flopper. Ever like the guys, the guys that think that that act like they're tough defenders that are floppers bother the hell out of me because you're not, they're mm-hmm. not tough defenders, <laughs> like you know. Um, and and I don't like this Celtics team at all. They have been thoroughly outplaying the Warriors through a lot of this. In if Curry, who has been playing very well, is not at a hundred percent, they're gonna beat them. And if Draymond, like I tweeted out this earlier, if Draymond had played this poorly. Twice in in other series, I don't think they get here. Like Draymond's like the guy who's like the glue for them that makes it all go. When he's you know getting outplayed by the entire opposing front line, both Williams is and Horford are you know outplaying him now in two of three games. Golden State's not going to have a shot no matter how well Curry and and Clay shoot. They they need those guys at least. Draymond and one of the other two And Draymond is the key He Because he makes it all go on both sides And if he's not bringing them up On one of the sides like They're just, they're not deep enough Nobody really is at this point, right? Like you can't have one of your real, real key contributors Just giving you so little And, and being outplayed And he, he has an awesome game too I mean, he I, can, I, like, I don't think Wiggins played that bad tonight I mean, no, Wiggins, Wiggins, Wiggins was good Wiggins yeah, was, Wiggins, I mean, was like, good. Wiggins, Curry, and and Thompson. and Thompson were good tonight. 
And Wiggins has been pretty consistent on 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 both sides. He he's been solid. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they're not just they just didn't get much else from from anyone. And the Celtics just all are playing harder, harder, harder throughout the game. And at this point, but I mean, it, it goes back. Like, look what the Celtics can do. Because like you made the comment about making their open threes. Um, they have the ball with Tatum, Smart, whoever, White, whoever, Brown, whoever. But everyone that that's out there for the majority of the time um, can knock down a three. Like when you have Green out there, you can't do that, you know. And that's that's the issue the Warriors, you know, are running into a little bit now because. Well, and that's why pools before yeah. pools having to play so much because yeah. if Draymond's going to be on the court. You have to have your other at least three guys that are very, very good shooters that are going to force you out, and so he's he's almost a must because of of the everybody on the bench. He's by and, far the best perimeter shooter, and like we said, Draymond is going to be on the court for thirty five minutes, and he's fouling out like he did tonight. <laughs> he's just like like I I like Draymond, I really do. You know, he he's a he's a very good basketball player, and he's been awesome for a long time, and he's. I think he's super eloquent. Like his, he does really good stuff on his podcast, and he's very smart. When you hear him talk, like he, he's obviously very thoughtful. He doesn't want to come off like someone who, who just kind of, for for a guy who has the the like attitude he has on the court, he's a very thoughtful person. You know, it sort of doesn't match. Like when you hear him talk, it's like wow, he's very reasoned. But man, you got if you're gonna be talking. And recording your podcast right after these games and stuff like, you know, and talking trash to a lot of people and like being the big tough guy in one game, you got to be ready for them to come back at you or sort of expect them to come and like punch you back in the NBA finals in game three. I I was just so disappointed with his, not the loss, but just the effort from him, even like he didn't really have any of that fight back right at all. Like he was kind of like just. Just sort of like accepting this. This was sort of like almost that. Okay, yeah, we'll take the loss here and then kind of come yeah, back and try. Yeah, it. I just, yeah, yeah, it was. And it, Steph and Clay were trying. They were trying, man. They they kept. They, they were trying up. throughout. Those two showed up. Brown definitely showed up. Tatum, you know, facilitated. Got other people involved. Which is what you but, you called, and that was. That's. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like he averages seven assists when they win. When the ball's stagnant, that's when they struggle. Um. You know, it brings it to the point. It's like the Warriors have been so good, like not letting Tatum get his. Are, are they at the point where they're just like, look, you know, we're going to let Tatum get his and now let the other guys beat him? Like, yeah, do they I think, think so. that now? I think so. Because you know? I think you look at the template now through three games, the game where like Tatum had 26 here, he got a little, he had a couple buckets late. So, I mean, he, he it wasn't, wasn't like a big 26. He was no, yeah, it, it was, it was late. Like he, he, he tonight was not like, Forcing a whole lot, really. You know, he he was driving. I thought a lot of his shots too. He missed a couple that he he may might have made. Like a lot of them were pretty good shots. You know, they weren't you know bad or like out of like really bad out of the offense type shots. But he, when you've got Brown and Smart getting you twenty plus, and then you've got Horford and Williams getting you double digits, like that's that's their template to being the best version of the Celtics. Yep. It's not Tatum going for 33 and then everybody else with either fit with like 15 and below and, and not like not really getting into the flow of the offense. Yeah. 
yeah. he's he's one of those guys that's got to learn a little bit to be the best. You know, he's got to be. He can he can go get his shots whenever he wants. He doesn't need to feel that he has to force shots. And sometimes in the flow of the game, you know, you're gonna need you're gonna sense it that like okay, this is the time when they're making a run. I got to go get a couple buckets here. Or now it's the time at the end of the game for me to take over. Or the end of the first half for me to take over. And sometimes it's right off the start. I got to set the tone right away. But he's doing a much better job of of getting that feel and getting that sense. And when he passes the ball like he did tonight, they are they're much much tougher. Yeah. You know they're they're just well, he's facilitating. He's getting everyone involved. Um, you know it's hard to have one guy lead you. I mean they're a much better team when he has twenty six and what he has twenty six and six, twenty six and seven assists, whatever. And Brown gets over 20, and then Horford over Horford and Williams, double digits, smart, high teens. That's their recipe to win, not him scoring, like you said, 33 points and everyone just in the low teens. Um, the one guy from the Warriors who will, will probably get more run, um, he does, his foot does look he- healthy, is Otto Porter. Um, you mentioned, like, getting the spacing and everything. Yeah. I mean, percentage-wise, you look at it, numbers don't lie. Porter is a better three-point shooter than Poole is, according to the percentages. And Porter's a better – Porter's yeah. just a way, way bigger defender. of a body, way better defensively. He gives you he gives you a little bit more. Like, I don't mind Porter like instead of Poole. Yeah, well, he's a just a bigger body, yeah. right? He matches up better with Tatum and more Brown too. in those I mean, situations. Like, there is that one possession, and I, it totally sounds like I hate Jordan Poole, but there's that one possession, there was a block. They threw it down to Poole. Poole had Williams on him. And, like, Van Gundy was going off about, oh, my God, what a great move by Poole. Like, he literally dribbled the ball for 11 seconds for all that to happen. Like, that's not, like, what Warriors basketball is all about. It's about the movement, the motion. It's not one guy dribbling for 11 seconds and driving and doing some fake layup. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, they need to get back to pick and roll, moving better for them to have any shot to come back in the series. And I'll be honest, I, I still think, I still think they can come back and win the series with what they have. And, you know, Boston coming back to earth a little bit with the well, yeah, three-point and, and shooting and Kerr making some e- adjustments. Even with, even tonight, like if Boston and Golden State are going to shoot similar from three, Boston's going to win. Yeah. Like if Boston's going to shoot, 50, 40, and then 37% in a game when both teams shoot 37% from three and Boston still hit, you know, a lot of good looks, then they're going to win. And tonight they attacked the rim quite a bit and they were just going right at them. I mean, they were tougher and they played harder and Boston's now up two games to one. I didn't think they were as good as the Warriors. I still don't, but but what we're seeing is Teams don't always play to their optimum level. I don't think we've seen the best version of the Warriors. Does Boston have something to do with that? Yes, they do. Absolutely. Can the Warriors, like you said, respond and and just play better overall and sort of can it flip to where they're imposing their will? That's what it comes down to. Every team in these series has a plan. This is what we want to do. We want to make the other team have to adjust to us, not us have to adjust to them. Tonight it was, you know, Boston – Got away with something we weren't sure they were going to do. They played Robert Williams 25 minutes, 26 minutes. That wasn't really working for them all that well. He's been a little banged up. He still is. 
but he was someone that they were able to attack a little bit more and sort of find some 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 soft spots there. They even did a little bit tonight, but he played really well for them. I mean, he was he was a monster on the glass. He had 10 rebounds. They he got them tons of second chance opportunities and just a lot of toughness, a lot of loose balls there. I think he had 3 uh 3 steals and 4 blocks tonight. He's so good, like on the on the weak side or like rotating off a guy. Like he really struggles when you put him in the post and he's asked to defend somebody. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Warriors don't have anyone that can do that. They don't have that post type player. And if you do the pick and roll, he can kind of drop, and his arms are so long, he can really go after and reach and get the length on Curry. I think what they need to do, like right off the bat in game in that game four. Is they need to put um, when they do go the double big lineup they call it with Horford and Williams, you know, just put Horford in some you know pick and rolls early. Try to get him kind of out of it because it's the one thing that this playoffs has showed for any time the Celtics have won, Al Horford's done well. So you need to get Al Horford kind of you know what I mean out of the game so to speak, like get him in foul trouble. Like, not let him have a good game. Because, I mean, what, he had 11-8 and eight today. He had a good game, and the Celtics look good. So, as crazy as it sounds, I really think one of the keys is Al Horford for the Celtics. Absolutely. Horford's the guy that, that he's the dream on for them. Yeah. Because he does it both sides, and he does it quietly. He can do it with 15 or 20 points. He can do it tonight. He had 11. It's like, but it was impactful. He had eight rebounds and six assists and a steal and a block. And he shot efficiently. He didn't take a ton of shots, but everything was in the flow and he kept it moving. And honestly, like, I'm, if, if you watch, if you rewatch this game, and I'm saying this because I don't think Al Horford is a dirty player, this is the dirtiest game I'd ever seen him play. There was one play. Where he was two-handed pushing someone like he was a blocker in football, like just across the across the lane. I mean, this is what happens in the NBA Finals. This is, and if they're going to give you any leeway, you take it. I was I was surprised with Al doing that, but that's what you have to come with if you want to win. And uh, we'll see what they keep letting Al get away with. He's a yeah, he's the key, and he's been one that's been back and forth and back and forth like Draymond, but we've seen. A couple good games from Al. Are, w- would you bank on this next game being a, a Draymond bounce back game? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, and so, how do we? How would that be something that we play? Because he's not some like I said, he's not someone that needs to score a lot to have an awesome game. Is there any way we could attack that from a gambling standpoint? We'll have to kind of see what is. Um, yeah, points, combos, rebounds, and stuff. Assist, maybe. Combos total is like. You know, I try to get fancy. I try to play the, um, <coughs> excuse me, the um, double double prop for what's his face tonight. Um, Al Horford missed it by two rebounds. Reality, what I should have done is just play the points assist rebound total would have gone over. You know, so kind of look, kind of see what that number is for Draymond. If that's somewhere in the mid twenties, I would probably look to play that. Eric, any other uh, final thoughts? Uh, moving on to uh, game four. Looking on Bet Online right now, Warriors are plus one ninety. Um, you know, if you know, if they win this, if they, you know, win that game, that number is gonna drop significant. You can probably get a plus number on Boston. This is the time, like I said when we recorded order earlier for BTV. This is when I'm gonna get involved. I'm gonna look to take the Warriors. It's sitting at plus one ninety right now for the series. I'll probably look to take them to win the series and I'll probably look to take them um in the game and probably just straight up win too. 
pretty solid night. You you had did you miss anything tonight? Um, I missed the Al Horford double double. That's yeah. and I missed I missed Al over. But we got a yeah I got Clay home there. I only had my I only had my two tonight with those two. But uh yeah that yeah, was I mean I had Boston first half Boston game. Yeah you liked Boston um, tonight. That was that yeah. was nice. I'm glad I almost got in because <laughs> early on I kept feeling like and and this is the problem with with Boston is that they don't feel like they put you away. You know they because they turn the ball over themselves and they're a little sloppy. Like they can kind of keep you in the game for too long, and it felt like early, it just keep, it felt like wow, Boston is really playing a lot better than Golden State, but it's like man, it's only like twelve, it's only exactly. like it's, 10. And that feel that first game, like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, like the opposite I, way for Golden State, right? Where kind of Golden State was up a Boston, or like you know they made that little bit of run, and then as soon as it sort of flipped the other way, Boston made the run. It was you kind of kept I mean, feeling. My I, thing with the Celtics is they turn the ball over too much. Um, they miss a lot of three throws. And I just kind of feel like when I look at their team, um, I really feel like as much as the Warriors have had trouble scoring, I really don't trust the Celtics to like score that many points as well offensively. Because you just kind of look at them like, you know, Brown is so inconsistent, smart, inconsistent. Williams limited at what he can do. Horford limited at what he can do. Um, and Tatum. You know, sometimes Tatum is like a superstar, but other times, you know, he kind of, he's not, you know what I mean? He's not consistent with his constant Mm -hmm. superstar level. Yeah. Like you look at someone like. His ceiling is there, but it's just not night in, night out. Every day, like last series with Giannis, like you knew you were getting 30 points from him. You just, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you just knew it. Like when LeBron was in his, like with the Lakers, you just knew, hey, he's going out there. He's getting you 30. With and Tatum, you don't know if he's going to do that. So, I mean, I just really feel the Celtics are so inconsistent. <coughs> Excuse me. But when you look at the trends, I mean, you know, I said it today, you know, 5-1 ATS against the spread after a loss for the halftime. 6-0 ATS after a loss. You know, they just are so good at making adjustments after a loss. You know, I, I had to kind of had to try to play that trend. But I'll be honest, like that trend getting more publicity now. Now's the time I'll look to go against the tread if the war, like next time the Warriors win the game. Eric, we uh, recorded a little early this week. I'm heading out of town for the uh, the weekend. Tell everybody what's going to be happening on uh, some of your shows this week. Um, I got uh, Jim and I come out with Spring Fever on BTV tomorrow where we talk USL, CFL, my podcast. Um, you know, you're going to come on, you're going to talk about the Belmont. Jim's going to give some USFL bets. My boy Brandon's going to talk some NASCAR. And then uh, next next Tuesday, I think Jim and I are starting our college football previews for BTV. So that should be exciting. We'll be uh, really starting to talk a lot of football, college, NFL, everything. Uh, we'll be making the transition soon. Thank you, buddy, for uh, for helping out, staying up late and uh, talking right after this game. Nice job tonight with some of your plays. And uh, yeah, we'll see if we can. I, I hope Curry's OK in that. Like I know, like you said, everybody's a little bit banged up. I don't want him to not be able to play or to be noticeably hobbling around and feel like that made not Boston a non-deserving team, but that just that would just be another thing for this team along the way where it felt like, God, they really just didn't. I want to see the best have to play the best at least a little bit. And as fans of the NBA would stink if that were the case. So fingers crossed that he's healthy and we can get a couple more good games uh, left in the, in the NBA season. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope, uh, 
you know, I hope I, I, I'm sure he's fine. Yeah, me too. It was, it was end of the game. They took him out and they're going to, they're not going to, you know, they're going to say that. And then we'll get a nice dramatic, uh, Curry comeback. Make sure to give Eric a follow on social media, etof 21 and check out all of his content. You hear him here each and every week too. And uh, we'll be talking a lot of NFL once the NBA is over. Thanks so much, buddy. You have a good rest of your night. Talk soon. All right. Sounds good. You too. Don't go anywhere, folks. A lot more to come on. That's what G said. Listen in as Gino and friends give you all the specifics on who to bet and how to make some money. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge by. Download the Stable Duel app and play today.
Every single day, you should be heading on over to StableDuel.com and checking out the schedule, or you can just head right on over to the app and dive into the, the daily contest schedule like Thursday. Gulfstream Park, Delaware, Indiana Grand, and Penn National, all with different games for you. There's a free ride at Gulfstream Park. Then on Friday, June the 10th, you've got Delaware, Gulfstream, Hawthorne, and Santa Anita. Different uh, games for you to play at all those tracks. We're going to talk about Friday, Santa Anita right here. We'll give you some plays for that one. Saturday, Gulfstream, Delaware, Hawthorne, Santa Anita. Sunday, Gulfstream, Laurel, Monmouth, and Santa Anita. And uh, even on into Monday with Indiana Grand Parks and Assiniboia Downs. Get your entries in and play, race, win, stable duel. Every Friday, we have the stable duel live stream this weekend in Stable Duel with Matt DeSantis, myself, Barry Spears. We won't be having it this weekend, but we will be returning next Friday. So every Friday, set those alarms, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Let's talk Friday racing. Let's get into some Belmont. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the Friday stakes races for June the 10th. So get your past performances out. Well, we won't have to sugarcoat it. There are a lot of chalky-looking races this weekend. A lot of small fields, a lot of nice horses running, but small fields. Like the third race on Friday, the Bed of Roses, you've got Bella Sophia, Obligatory, both going to be tough. It's a tiny field of four. Glass Ceiling would be the horse who, she actually beat search results last time out. She continues to improve. Maybe she can sit third if Bella Sophia goes and Easy to Bless can put a little bit of pressure on her. Gets a jump on Obligatory. That's in race number three. Let's move a little later on the card to the eighth race. It's the Belmont Gold Cup. They're going to go two miles in here. I thought the five-strong uh, tide is a little bit interesting. He went a mile and a half in his last few starts. Three starts back, he won really nicely by 10. He was just beat at Sam Houston in the Connolly. And his race... At Oakland on April the 3rd was not bad behind Lone Rock and Last Samurai, who both came out of that race to win next out. Then in the Louisville, he was right on the lead, but a rival to the inside won at the front. So, And then another rival to the outside went to the lead, so kind of put him in between horses. He had to check back a little bit out of it on heels and kind of moved up into a tight spot. He was completely blocked. He got a small opening, kind of bumped into the rail. It was a brutal trip. 6-1 to one on the morning line. If he's anything around 4, I'll make a win wager there. In the ninth race, it's the True North. Jackie's Warrior, always going to be tough in these sprint races. If he can get pushed at all, then Sound Money would be the beneficiary. Blinkers coming off, cutting back from a mile to six and a half. He's drawn well. Jackie's Warrior loses. I think he benefits most from that. Can Mr. Phil and maybe Nighttime, maybe even Baby Yoda, put enough pressure on Jackie's Warrior to get him a little bit tired late for maybe Sound Money? The 10th race, it's the grade one New York going a mile and a quarter. But the seven family way was a bit interesting. If we're just using Virginia Joy as a measuring stick, family way was not far behind Virginia Joy a couple starts back. That was the first start off the bench for family way. It was the first start in about five months. She actually had the lead in that race and just got a little tired late. Her running style keeps her in striking range throughout. So she might be an interesting horse to use in some of your uh, exotics there. Family Way, she's 8-1. to one. If we can get anything around 5, we'd make a win wager there. In the Intercontinental, 6 furlongs on the turf. Give another look to Jouster. 
going the sprint distance. Jouster, she's 12 to 1 on the morning line. She's the number 5 in here. Pratt's aboard. She really had to take up badly at the start. She was back to last. She was about 10 lengths off. And she was just, you know, down inside. She started the roll. She tipped out. She closed pretty well late. That was her first start sprinting since she was a maiden. I think she may like it where she can just kind of sit and make one late run. The five jouster. Let's look at some horses to use on Friday for Belmont. Let's move from Belmont over to Santa Anita. A couple plays for Friday Santa Anita. So we're looking over at Santa Anita for June the 10th. We're looking at Friday, and we're going to be looking at races 5, 6, and 9 for a couple plays there. Race number 5, the number 4 Egomania is taking a pretty big drop in class. He's been facing first-level allowance company his last two. He, t- he, sh- he took a shot against much tougher last time out. He got squeezed back at the start, hit a back out of a spot. He was stuck in a tight spot. He backed up again. And all of a sudden, he's 8th of 9. And he's like last. He wasn't going to win with that kind of trip against really, really nice horses where he'd have to come from way out of it. He can sit a little bit closer than it may look on paper. He fits really well in this spot. Egomania is 15 to 1 on the morning line. If he is half of that, I'm going to make a win wager on him. In race number 6, I thought the number 5 Tizzy Twister was going to be pretty tough in here. Put a line through the, the turf race. And you're left with just a really nice form um, in some sprints. The second career race was the one where the the wide trip didn't really suit him, didn't suit her. She can sit off a little bit if she needs. I like where she's drawn. She's a horse who I could build some late exotics around. The number five, Tizzy Twister. Be careful uh, the way you say that one. Race number nine, the number nine, Weatherly. Maiden 50 claimers going a mile on the turf course. Weatherly is going to put two starts together. She's going to stretch out. She's going to go second off of a really long layoff. She's going to get Lasix for the first time. And she has a pretty nice pedigree. Her dam was a multiple group stakes winner going long on the turf. She has the right to be better going longer. Give her a look. Weatherly, 12-1 to 1 on the morning line there. A couple plays for you over at Santa Anita Friday. We're going to move from Friday to Saturday. Before we do, we want to Talk a little bit about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. I just had a nice conversation with her earlier today. I'm going to do an interview with Cindy. She just came off of a a conference where she got a lot of good information about things that are going to be trending in the market over the next few years. So she's going to share all of the information that she received with us. You can visit her website, cindycarava.com. She can help you with buying, with selling, with leasing. Anywhere that you are, she'll let you know what things look like in the area. She can put you in contact with someone who will help you. And she's going to make your life so much easier. CindyCarava.com, full service realtor. You're going to find out a lot more about her next week. And we'll get some specifics about all sorts of different places too. So really good information coming soon from Cindy. Let's get into Belmont for Saturday. I'm going to run through the undercard, and then when we get to the Belmont Stakes, Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali join me, and we do a, a deep dive into the race. We talk a little bit about what what's a pretty disappointing undercard, to be honest. There are some nice horses running. From a gambling standpoint, a lot of the major races are short fields, and they're not the greatest betting races. So 
it's something that everyone's been talking about and addressing and, and seeing the shorter fields. But this is not something that came out of nowhere. This has been trending in horse racing for a while. Full sizes down. Racing's kind of backwards with their racing to breed and not breeding to race. So we get into a lot of that with Andrew and Darren before the Belmont. We'll talk about the card overall there. I'll get I'll get into the uh, the undercard. Third race, it's the Acorn. So we're looking at Saturday, June 11th over at Belmont. The graded stakes action starts in race number three with the grade one Acorn. On paper, it looks like it's between Matareya and Echo Zulu. It's just a five-horse field. Will Echo Zulu be able to get away from Matareya? Matareya is also really quick, and she's been sprinting as of late. She's pretty versatile. I actually prefer Matareya over Echo Zulu in this spot. The inside horses will hope that these two go really quick so one of them could benefit and, and maybe come closing, but it's kind of hard to look beyond the, the top two. In the fourth race, Speak of the Devil was so impressive in the Distaff Turf Mile. I think she might be a really, really nice one in here. She would be the short price that I would lean to in the Just a Game in race four. Fifth race is one of the races where I think you may be able to get a price. If Max Player is anything over 4-1, to one, I think we play him to win. He's going to be putting two starts together. He'll be stretching out to a mile and a half. And he had some good races last year at a mile and a quarter because he was able to sit up a little bit closer. He didn't have to come from so far back. Give Max Player a look in the Brooklyn race number five, the number two. 6-1 to one on the morning line. Continuing through the Belmont card on Saturday, we're up to the grade one Woody Stevens. It's race number six. Jack Christopher is going to be very, very tough in there, undefeated. He returned in the Pat Day mile. It was extremely impressive. Now the rail, maybe that is what, what could do him in. If so, Morello is a bit interesting. You know, he was favored in the wood. He went into that race a perfect 3-for-3, three three, was behind Mo Donegal in early voting. Just had a bad beginning and just n- never got involved. He's got a lot more tactical speed than that. And then I've always played and been a fan of chasing time. And this is this sprint from about six furlongs to a mile is probably much better for him than trying to go farther. He's not quite as good as some of the others in here, but he could get a nice trip if they go too quick. So I wouldn't talk you off of using him underneath at, at maybe a price to spice things up, just sort of like he did last time. Same sort of thing. He's a little bit of a price. He comes closing, finishes third, helps out some of the exotics. One, five, and four. In the Woody Stevens, it's the Ogden Phipps. We have a, some really, really nice fillies and mares in here. Again, it's just a short field. All of them are legit. They're going to have to catch Latruska. If search results puts pressure on Latruska, Malathat and Clarier could really benefit. Malathat's versatile. I've always liked Clarier. I think she is really good and one of the absolute best. She just doesn't get the type of trip she needs. She needs bigger fields and a little more pace, and she just rarely gets that. I mean, how are you going to try to find value in here? One, three, and four seem like the most likely to me because unless search results can just sit right behind Latruska, because if she takes it to her, isn't that going to hinder her chances of winning the race too? Let's get to the eighth. It's the the Jiper. We've seen a lot of these recent turf sprints be won by wire-to-wire winners in the big races. And on paper, there's really not that much early speed for a race quite like this. I do think True Valor is interesting for that reason from the 
coming back off a long layoff. He won gate to wire. He can sit a little bit. He's drawn down the down towards the inside. Arrest me red will again be close in here. The eight scut- uh, scuttle buzz is pretty tough to knock with some of the good recent form. Chasing Artie is another one who could be close. This the layout of the six furlongs here at Belmont should probably be better for gear jockey. All horses I'd be thinking about using in the Jiper. The ninth race, it's the Met. Another really small field. Flight line speakers, corner, Aloha West, happy saver, and informative. So flight line, a perfect three for three. You've got speakers corner, three for three on the year. Comes off of winning the Carter. Fun matchup between the two of them. I don't know what to do with Flightline. Has he been incredible in his races? Yeah. Is Speaker's Corner the best horse he's going to have ever faced? Probably. And if those two hook up early, Aloha West and Happy Saver are legit. I prefer Aloha West. I could see Happy Saver running well here too. He likes Belmont. He's cutting back a little bit, putting two starts together. Could have a little more punch late. Aloha West, I was just planning on playing second time off the bench because he just had no shot against Jackie's Warrior in a race where it was a small field and Jackie's Warrior was way faster than everyone there. In the Met, Aloha West is the interesting horse to me. We'll see if he can get the right kind of trip, if he can run down flight line speaker's corner. Does he just get outrun by them? You got the Manhattan. It's race number 10, mile and a quarter on the turf. The number four, Adamo, I've been chasing. I really needed him on May the 7th. Uh, Santin got him that day. They're both players in here. Of the others, in love, I would give another shot to. His A game is really good. If he can get back to his form last year where he put together a couple really nice races and didn't run poorly in the Breeders' Cup, he could make some noise in this race. And I would also include Gufo, obviously, so... He'll come running. Four, five, nine, two combinations of those in the Manhattan. And then you get to the Belmont. We'll talk about the uh, the Belmont horse by horse, but Modonagal, Creative Minister, We the People, sort of how I would stack them. I th- I think Modonagal is the most likely winner, but I probably wouldn't bet him at the price he's going to be. Creative Minister might might be the horse to bet if you're just looking for one horse to play in the race. We the People... He'll try to wing it from the inside. There isn't that much other speed. I just can't play him at that price with some questions with his biggest win coming on and off track. If it's wet again, he'll probably be an upgrade. So that's a look at the Belmont undercard for Saturday. But let's dive into the Belmont stakes runners one at a time. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali join me. We talk a little bit overall about sort of the, the state of racing and why there might be uh, some short fields on Saturday, and then we get into the Belmont horse by horse, Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. It's time to talk about the third jewel of racing's Triple Crown. It is Belmont weekend, and so, uh, you know, I can't ever really let Andrew and Darren have a week off. When when there's something happening, I just have to re- have to redistribute their services to in other ways. And so instead of talking some wrestling, we're going to talk some racing this week, and we're going to talk about the Belmont. And, I mean, before we get into the Belmont field, which will go on Saturday, uh, June 11th, it'll go as race number 11 at Belmont. We'll go horse by horse through the field and give some positives, negatives, thoughts on uh, each of the runners. The major conversation going around as uh, we are recording on Tuesday evening the few days out from the Belmont, 
everyone's talking about the field sizes all throughout the day. And, you know, it's just a, it's a problem, an overall problem in horse racing and something that didn't just pop up this weekend. It isn't just a, a random occasion that there's not very many horses running in a lot of big races this weekend. But Darren Andrew, you know, a lot of people have been talking about different things on social media, posting some of their com- comments, takes, ideas. It's I don't think it's really rocket science here, DZ. It's a lot of simple stuff that we've seen the writing on the wall through the years. This is all stuff that a lot of people involved in racing have known, have talked about. You know, where uh, <clears throat> the the breeding has become sort of more of a, a backwards, um, you know, racing to breed and breeding to race. You know, the breeding has become a little bit more important. There are just less horses overall. There are less trainers overall. And and more of the major horses are distributed among the same people over and over. These are like really similar. These are things that everybody has brought up through the years. But when you when they all come together and you see them on a Saturday where there's a lot of five horse fields and some big stars, but it just feels like there's a little punch missing from a, a big day like this. Yeah, as a as a better, it's disappointing. I I would say is the word um, because this is a day that in years past has been a tremendous afternoon of racing. Um, sure, I mean we've seen a couple of small fields here and there. I know the Ogden Phipps has not been huge in terms of field size, and the Acorn has not been huge in terms of field size. But the remainder of the card has usually been sensational and it's almost played out like a mini breeders cup day and when you factored friday in it really like a mini breeders cup weekend so uh from a betting standpoint the fact that we have four or five horse fields and, and i think uh only i, I want to say seven f- races are less than eight horses uh on a 13 race program it's disappointing as somebody who has a career in racing and loves this sport uh, it's highly concerning um, because we are seeing uh, things catch up to us that a lot of us have been talking about for years uh, in regards to breeding less horses, in regards to uh, the deterioration of the breed, the lack of durability of the horse based on breeding speed to speed and getting more speed and breeding that speed and round and round we go. And the on top of it, you mentioned uh, trainers having so many horses, 100% correct. And also all of these multi-billionaires now basically joining together to own all these horses together mm-hmm. where Same you owners. have these ownership contingents of like seven billionaires or multi-multi-millionaires that all own the same horses. And what happens then is, you know, with the exception of what Peter Brandt is doing, in the just a game where he literally has 60% of the field. That's a bit of an anomaly. We don't normally see an owner have 60% of the field, but in situations like that, these giant conglomerates would send one horse to one race, one horse to another race, one horse to another race. And instead of having three good horses in one race, making for a really compelling event, they get scattered all over the country because they're running so many of these stakes races for the same divisions where you can pick and choose where you want to go. And instead of having one race with 10, 11, 12 horses, you have three races with five horses apiece. And uh, I don't know what we can do at this point to turn it around. Uh, it just doesn't seem like racing has much interest in turning it around. And I think the, the reason for that 
is because when you go to buy a horse at a yearling sale and, you know, you got a grade or, or, or you're going out there and you're selling a broodmare, it just says grade one placed. doesn't say she did it in a four horse field. Uh, and that drives up her value and it mm -hmm. drives up the value of her offspring. And if you only have five horse races as an owner, you make more money and they get black type and you could sell them for more money. And if the owners have all the money and they have all the power and they're breeding and getting more money for breeding and they're selling and getting more money for selling, how do you stop it? So here's what I'll add to this, because I think Darren has it absolutely nailed dead to rights. Horse racing can only thrive if it's treated like a multi-legged stool where you have owners, breeders, trainers, and jockeys. Obviously, you also got to have the betters on board. And you got to treat them well, which is something that did, has not happened for a long time in a lot of horse racing. In, in a lot of different ways, we can talk about takeout. We can talk about people that make decisions that just don't, that aren't betters making decisions, right? Right? People that just aren't customers that are putting the product out there and not sure what the customers would want. And so I'm glad that you brought that up, Andrew, because it's a very important point. Yeah. And look, I am not, uh, I don't have the money to be one of the owners that Darren is talking about. Okay. I'm never going to see the sport the way that they do. They're never going to see the sport the way I do. And we'll all never see the sport the way jockeys and grooms and exercise riders and those on the backstretch see the sport. And that's thoroughly fine. The problem is if one leg of that stool is weak or non-existent, everything topples over. And when you're left with a card like this, it's glaring how many people and how many different situations were mishandled. I mean, when you look at the number of times certain stallions were bred and the fact that the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission made an attempt to stop it, made an attempt to say, hey, listen, we're going to put this cap in place and farms actively rebelled so much so that the rule was repealed. If you keep breeding the same horses over and over, guess what? The breed's going to get weaker. And when the breed gets weaker, horses wind up running less and less. And when horses aren't running as much, and there aren't as many of them, guess what happens? They close. There's no running. There's no races. It's, it's done. Look, Racing's not, over. It's, this is what's trying, going to happen. It's not, it's, it's trending. It's, it, and it's not, we're not trying to be doom and gloom. It's just a fact, yeah. right? This and that's is not the thing. like. I am not trying to be Mr. Doom and gloom. Oh, you're the hater. You're the problem. I'm not trying to be that guy. But anyone that has known anything about racing has yeah. seen these issues coming over the last five to 10 years, especially. And this is what happens when you ignore the people you don't want to listen to, because guess what? Now everybody notices, not just the people that watch this stuff like Hawks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by the way, to Andrew's point, and I think we've all been, been pounding at this drum for a while now. And, I've written articles and, and columns about it going back 10 years. And in fact, when I was at the Meadowlands on the standard bread side of things, we were doing a, every year a full crop analysis and trying to make everybody wake up in the harness racing side of things as to what was happening. And thoroughbreds were having a similar problem. Um, you, you can't call us doom and gloom 
when we've been calling this for the last seven years. Well, and and we're you know, investing we a lot of our money in your own yeah. horses, and we bet all the time, right? Yeah. We're we're it's still not, we. It's because we want the sport to be at the best. We love it, yeah. and we're gonna be here playing and and involved, um, no matter what's it, going down. But it's just it's, it's, it's not like one card has shown up, and we're now just like you know jumping to a conclusion out of out of the clear blue sky. No, we have literally been talking about this happening for years and years it was a thing so, at hollywood park before hollywood closed down it, that was a thing at hollywood and it was a lot a lot of times they would sort of make the excuse that well sometimes hollywood you know people will start to want to point their horses to del mar which is sometimes true right you'll sort of see that like around around this point then maybe you'll get some smaller fields in some allowance races or some of the claiming races maybe in Southern California because they'll they'll wait. They can run for a little bit more money a few weeks later, and people want to run down to Del Mar. Sure. Also a lot less shipping right? to Southern California. Yeah. They have to, you know, there are certain issues that Southern California has to deal with more yeah, than you're others. Yeah, right. you're right. But, but th- that's, been, that's been an issue out here yeah. for a long time, and yeah. it, it's sort of like what Andrew was saying. As much as it's different parts, like – Having a Southern California or a California racing scene that isn't very strong, that's not good for the racing scene overall. No. You know, it just doesn't help everyone when you look at California, Florida, New York, Kentucky. You want those places to be as strong as possible. And if one or two of them is struggling, and right now, it's not as if there aren't stars. There are big horses showing up all throughout the card. But, you know, we, we're not seeing very many good betting races throughout and we have a belmont that you probably have one of the horses right now in this three-year-old group that would be considered in the top five and probably be like the fourth or fifth best and that's probably and that's mo donegal just based on his credentials right we the somebody could jump into that but that's sort of that was kind of why when, when we were talking a few weeks ago about shortening the triple crown or changing the triple crown i was sort of thinking about this like we have small fields all over the places in million dollar grade one races. I don't know if it would be any different. You know, people just, there are a lot of graded stakes. We've kind of gone through a lot of the problems. And I, I think, Andrew, you were hitting on it too. I don't know how much we can do to reverse this trend right now. It, it, we, the, the toothpaste might be out of the, the tub, you know? Well, it's one of those things where the people that can fix the problem don't want to. And look, I'm not trying to say these people are killing horse racing, whatever. They are doing what the market will bear. And as long as there are two-year-old in training sales with two-year-olds breezing eighths of a mile in nine and four, they're going to breed horses that go eighths of miles in nine and four because that is what the market will bear and that is how they are going to get paid. The issue is... It's becoming more important to some breeding operations to breed two-year-olds that go eighths of miles in nine and four than to have horses that run more than once every three or four months that go until ages four or five at high levels and that produce offspring that can do the same thing. We've gone from breeding to race to racing to breed And eventually we might be going to breeding to breed, which is just clinically insane. And look, I am not faulting, and this is very, very important. I am not faulting trainers in this at all whatsoever. If Flightline was sound enough to run every week, you think John Sadler would keep him in the barn? Absolutely not. 
it's just a case where these trainers are working with stock that's nowhere near as sound as it was even 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, my goodness, mm -hmm. it seems like Flightline is held together with duct tape and safety pins and paper mache, my God. And you know, if he wins the Met Mile and goes off to stud, he's going to see at least 200 mares for a ridiculous stud fee. And this whole thing will asininely continue. And we'll be back here next Belmont Stakes Day and having <laughs> the same conversation. Yeah, and by, by the way, two things. The irony of the Met Mile, which for how many years was billed as a stallion-making race? Everybody drink. Anytime you hear someone in the breeding industry say that a race is a stallion-making race. Talk about yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yep, exactly. And now you have a horse who is the focal point of a stallion-making race who has run three times in a year with gaps of four, five, six months between starts and has had a history of soundness issues. The other thing I'll point out, just for fun, just using the Met Mile as an example, I did a search for in the Blood Horse Stakes calendar for races for older horses uh, between a mile and a mile and an eighth from today through the end of the year, stakes races. You want to take a guess at how many stakes races there are for three-year-olds and up over the next six months, going a mile to a mile and an eighth on dirt. Are we Too talking many. stakes races or just <laughs> graded stakes races? No, I'm talking about all stakes races. Too many. Um, I, I'd be interested in knowing the answer to this. This is good. There's 127. That is just... There's 127 stakes races for three-year-olds and up going a mile to a mile and an eighth. It's insane. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that they're all graded stakes. No, and some of them are smaller right. here and there. And but then what ends up happening is it program too. It discourages yeah. the horses from stepping up and facing better when there are so many other options for them. It's yeah, not I that mean, you should only have the good races either, but it's just there. We've talked about too many of them for the full crop now. There's not as many horses. You don't need more stakes races and more unique divisional stakes races when a race like the met mile was really fun because you'd get some horses that were turning back you'd get some horses that were stretching out and it'd be this really good cross path of maybe some sprinters and some milers and maybe some classic horses that would would turn back a little bit it would that's what it was supposed to be and now it, some will take a swing at it and others go oh you know what we could be heavily favored in a, a different race a day or two earlier and you just run there instead yeah exactly i mean we're, i think we're seeing it coming up in a few weeks I think Hot Rod Charlie is going to run in the Salvatore Mile at Monmouth. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. I mean, I, it, but that's because that the option is there. It's in the middle of June. It's in between the Stephen Foster and the Met Mile. He's a proven, accomplished horse. Why should I run against Flightline in the Met Mile? I'll just get a nice prep where I'm one to five in the Salvatore Mile. You know, it's mm -hmm. and, and and it's an ongoing problem, and I, it's just not, it's not going to be addressed because. To be quite honest with you, the owners and breeders are just making too much money. Well, if I may jump in here really quick, there's an even better example, and it's this week at Belmont. You're really going to tell me that Steve Asmussen should be running Jackie's Warrior anywhere but the Met Mile? Right, but you have the True North the day before. I mean, which exactly. makes no sense. Exactly, yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. And, and even just one or two more horses from that race 
would definitely have made the Met Mile a little bit better or intriguing or the yep. pace of the race a little bit different. And that's sort that's what you want. And yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a bummer. It's a, uh, and by the way, people people say, well, yeah, but you don't want filler. You don't want to have an eight horse field with four horses that don't belong in the race. I'm not saying you should have filler. What we're saying is the current structure of the racing and breeding industry, the current structure of the stake schedule, the current structure of how many owners share in the same horses in the same division prohibits you from having a well-balanced field with mm-hmm. a good number of horses. That's the problem. We don't want you to just throw four allowance horses into the Met Mile to make it an eight-horse field. We want there to be four other grade one caliber horses to run in that race. And the way things are right now, it's just not possible. It, and if, if there I were just jump two, in again, really yeah, please, quick, Andrew. really quick, Go you ahead. guys keep saying we don't want filler. We don't want filler. Hi, informative. How you doing? I'm well, just right, guessing. Yeah. I'm just guessing that Uriah St. Louis is going to be owed several favors by the Belmont Park Racing Office. Yep, this this it's a bummer because you know for the Kentucky Derby, I, I like and then Breeders' Cup and Big Days. I like to have a bunch of different guests on where everybody will dive into a different stakes race. Cause it's really fun to bring on a bunch of different handicappers and then get everyone's opinion on the big race. And people yep. can hear how different people handicap and, and, you know, pick up maybe angles or, or learn a little something from a bunch of different people. And I get to talk with a bunch of my friends. It's really cool. And this week I didn't even, I didn't really even bother. I was sort of looking at the way the, the nominations were and looking at the, the, the probables. And I said, I'm, We'll talk Belmont with with the with these two fellas, and and I'll go through the field. Uh, I'll go through the undercard stakes races myself because it's just the the point and of having fun when talking with people is when there's eight or ten horses and different opinions and different possibilities. And if this happens, then this, and if this is this, and there are going to be some nice performances, but it, it's going to be pretty cut and dry. You know. And by the way, Uriah St. Louis is getting at least forty thousand dollars for running fifth <laughs> just, in this race. There you go. Just I, for I, I, finishing I don't the know. race. If you look, if you look at the breakdown of the purse, it I think it I think it was paying all the way out to eighth place. It was either seventh or eighth place. No, I think it's eighth place. Um, and there was another after fifth, there was literally like another seventy-five thousand dollars that had to get paid out. I don't know where that seventy-five grand now goes because it's only a five-horse field. But in an eight-horse field, it was forty thousand dollars for running fifth. So he's getting at least forty thousand dollars. For jogging around the track for a mile. Andrew, any final thoughts uh, before we jump in and start talking about the Belmont? Uh, just that it's a shame. I mean, look, there are some really, really good horses running on this undercard. We bashed the Met Mile, and justifiably so. You've got Flightline and Speaker's Corner, and that's a darn good matchup. Not even withstanding Aloha West and Happy Saver, who are both nice horses. There's another horse running earlier on in the card in the Just a Game named Speak of the Devil, who I think is a stone-cold freak. It's just a shame that in that race you've got three stable mates with the same owner. It's yeah. when when even the good stuff winds up having to bring up the bad stuff. It's unfortunate. The best betting race on the card is probably the Jiper, right? With that gigantic field. And there's going yeah, the, to be the, Manhattan, the Manhattan's a fine race, too. It's it's fine. But the Jiper, you get Arrest Me Red. And if Arrest Me Red doesn't fire, anybody can win. That one I'm actually looking forward to a little bit on the undercard. I would not be at all surprised if that race winds up the second biggest handle race of the entire card. 
hope we get something there. It seems like all the big turf sprints recently have just been one wire to wire by shortage prices too. It's like, oh, thanks. These are the races that we would at least hope for some chaos. So we'll see. And uh, we'll dive into the Belmont now. So we're going to be talking about race number 11 on the Saturday card, mile and a half at Belmont. And DZ, we the people, comes in off of the big Peter Pan score. He won by 10. It was on and off racetrack that day. He went right to the lead. It was really the first time where he showed that type of speed. He'd been more of a like a presser, and I think they just didn't really like the trip that he got at Oaklawn on April the second in the Arkansas Derby. He got bet that day. He was under five to two, and and then he had the monster performance at Belmont. And on paper, he uh, looks like the main controlling speed. He has the inside. He has Flavian Pratt aboard, and there are. Lots of things to like about him He's the the short He's going to be the, the horse to to catch The the one they'll have to beat What do we do from like a betting standpoint I mean is there Is there anyone in here Who can even really Put pressure on him Maybe he doesn't want to go a mile and a half right? Maybe he can't get that And he just gets a little tired late But is it going to be because he gets pressed No I if he doesn't get a mile and a half, it's because he doesn't get a mile and a half. I don't, sure. I don't, I don't see him I agree. getting pressed. Um, I just don't know who listen, it could be. Unless, unless, listen, in a mile and a half race, we've seen goofy things sometimes. Sure. Uh, especially in the Belmont Stakes. You know, does, you know, do they, do they make a decision with Skippy Longstocking where they fire him up like he was at Gulfstream, you know, earlier on where he was sitting second through 45 second half miles, you know, even though he, that was not, where he was running his best. Do they try to go back to those tactics? Does creative minister break alertly? He's probably the one that I would say sits second here. If all things are run the way they're supposed to be run on paper, you know, does Barbara road suddenly find the speed from when he was going six furlongs or six and a half furlongs as a two-year-old. I mean, you know, one of those things would have to happen and you can't possibly handicap for that Mm -hmm. based on what we've seen during their last three, four five starts. Yep. Um, Plus, there is the chance of some rain in the forecast on Saturday. Uh, and if there's moisture in the track, we certainly saw we the people handle that quite well uh, in the Peter Pan stakes over a sealed good surface. Now, it is worth mentioning that at the Arkansas Derby on a day that was packed with people, uh, he lost his race in the paddock. Mm-hmm. He was washed out, very nervous, did not break at all and was just not on top of his game. And apparently it was the mental game that was mostly his undoing that day. Peter Panday at Belmont, massive facility. It was a rainy, terrible day. Uh, there were not a lot of people there, and he was able to fly around the track. Belmont Day with, you know, 70, 80,000 people there. Does he fall back into the habits of the Arkansas Derby where he gets washy and nervous? I'm not, I'm not handicapping for that. I'm just saying pay attention to what he looks like in the paddock and in the post parade. Um, the most likely outcome of this race is that we the people goes wire to wire that's just that's just a fact yeah yeah uh, it's it is the most likely outcome i'm not saying it's 50 percent likely but if you wanted to list all of the different ways this race finishes we the people going wire to wire is the most likely outcome yep he's by constitution he's out of a tisnow mayor he's supposed to be able to run all day He's got a compelling victory with a monster speed figure, a monster ragazine number when compared to the rest of the field over the track he's racing at. The two questions are uh, the mile and a half. And does anything happen that we can't see on paper? 
Uh, yep. My and feeling, my feeling is he's the horse to catch and beat. Andrew, he's also got the the gentleman who might be the, in my opinion, he is the current best jockey in America right now, who is really good on speed horses, who has been aboard him before, who knows him, and who knows that if he may have to go a little bit faster early on to get some separation. I, saw I don't Darren, think he cares. I don't think yeah. Pratt cares. Me neither. He's and not, I thought he's not saw, losing this race because he strangles him back in a 51 second half. I, I don't think, think so. I saw you post about that too. And I, I would agree with Darren Andrew. I think he rides this horse like you're supposed to ride speed horses and he doesn't ride him to like a 50 second half. I think he tries to go and open this field up a little bit and just outrun a bunch of these horses. Talk to us about we, the people. Before we go much further, it is time for an interactive exercise. I would like you. To put your hands over your heart. <laughs> I knew you were going to say in unison <laughs> these three words. We, we the people. The people. <laughs> uh, Someone had to do that and it had to probably be me. And shout anyway. out to uh, the Sarge who sent us a picture. He was sitting next to Jack Swagger, right? On a, was it a flight? Yeah, it was. The, uh, it was, yeah, him and Jake Hager on a flight. Yeah. yeah uh, that was pretty, pretty cool. So, so shout out there. I've got one other question, Mark, with we the people that we haven't brought up yet. I just don't think he beat anything in the Peter Pan. I sure, know that's, he had that's a very perfect, fair. I know yeah. he had a perfect trip that day, and maybe I'm a little sour because I really liked him in the Arkansas Derby, which is the one time he just didn't show up. But I'm looking at that race, and while he does seem like the main speed in here, you're telling me that I need to take two to one on a horse stretching out from a one turn mile and an eighth to a mile and a half. So something he's never done before off of a lifetime best effort with a picture perfect trip. I'm not saying he can't win to me. He's the second most likely winner in this particular race, but I need way more of a price than I am likely to get in this field on. We, the people, if he beats me, he beats me, but at two to one, I just can't endorse him. I would need a, a, probably double that to even begin considering a win bet on him because it, while it's true he comes off of a really nice race, it's also a case where at some point someone is going to need to decide they need to go with their horse in order to keep we the people honest. Maybe not embroil in a speed duel, but at least make sure he's not coasting on the front end and having things all his own way. Now, maybe that's Manny Franco and Skippy Longstocking. We'll get to him in a little bit. I also wouldn't be surprised if Dylan Davis sends Golden Glider that's, a little bit. That's who I game. was thinking, just but, trying a little more. But it's one of those things where they, can they can they even? I think he'll try to outrun anyone who who would do that early. And then it, it becomes the, yeah, how good is he? And can he get, you know, can he get the distance? And can he repel some challenges from you know some of the closers and those the horses who actually might yeah. like this and, and distance. Again, he he can do that but two to one is just too short for me to recommend i understand that and this is that's what makes this race difficult for me from just a pure gambling standpoint i mean i'll talk about of the of the 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 contenders the, the one that i'm not as as high on but i think that we the people in in mo donegal and creative minister are probably the three most likely winners and they're probably going to be your first, second and fourth choices or, you know, something in that, in that line. So it's, it's hard for me to find too many ways. The race isn't 
going to go through one of them and we the people seems like the one who's just going to dictate everything from the inside can anyone go with him and put a little pressure on him we'll see but you got Flavian aboard who is uh, the absolute best right now at figuring out do I go do I kind of relax a little 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 and then go love him calling those shots Skippy Long stalking next door this is a horse DZ who we've kind of mentioned a few times as maybe a possible presser because he's right next to the speed and we've actually seen him As you had said Maybe you go back what four Starts and there was a stretch of Three or four races in a row at Gulfstream Where he wasn't that far Out of it and he was pretty close To the lead he broke his maiden sitting close And then even in the street sense It's not as if I don't know if he can Win this race but what's kind of Interesting if it's it's sort of a tale of two things if he's the one that's trying to press or has to do dirty work then I definitely wouldn't want him if he's just kind of loping along in second and we the people goes out there he might be an okay horse to fall into underneaths if he's just right there and there's not a whole lot of pace in here yep that could happen um I mean I was personally disappointed with his preakness I agree um I I thought he had one of the better trips that were not uh, from from a, a a standpoint of traffic, he didn't yep. have a lot of issues. Yep. Uh, whereas you know horses like Epicenter and Secret Oath did. Um, he pretty much was in this kind of spot that you thought he was going to be in. And when he swung out at the top of the stretch, I thought he was going to come with a run and push for second or third, and the run just wasn't there. Um, now, I will say this: the Preakness, from my standpoint, was a much faster race than the Kentucky Derby. Um, I think the speed figures speak to that point. I think all of the time form figures, the ragazin figures, whatever you use, everything says that the Preakness was a much faster race than the Kentucky Derby. Uh, and that could have been why Skippy Longstocking did not come with the run because early voting kept going. Epicenter kept going. Creative Minister kept going. And when you have horses that keep going and don't come back to you, uh, it's a quality race and it produces a quality speed figure. Um my feeling is this race is probably not going to be as fast from a speed figure standpoint. So possibly he could get a little bit closer. Um, he's by exaggerator out of a war chant mare. Uh, is the horse going to relish a mile and a half? I don't know, you know, but he's one of them, the many in there that can possibly clunk up or, or hang around for, for a piece. But I, I'd like them to hit the board in the Preakness. And the disappointment that I felt with the fact that he was just so even in the lane, it's hard for me to have much more confidence in him in this spot. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, Safi Joseph has trained this horse to lifetime best efforts in several of the last couple of races. You look at buyer speed figures. This is a horse that was running in the low 70s at the turn of the year, then 79, 88, 91, 94. Darren, you and I both liked this horse a little bit mm-hmm. in the Preakness, and maybe he was hurt a little bit by the fact that the early pace wasn't insanely fast, but he ran a decent third in the wood with a similar setup behind yep. a similar horse, too, in early voting. So it wasn't like it was unprecedented there. I just prefer others in this particular spot. And with this pedigree, the mile and a half is a little bit of a question mark. Exaggerator did win going a mile and three sixteenths at Pimlico, though that was in a bog. The bottom side had Warchant, who was a very good miler. But I question if a mile and a half is really what this horse wants to be doing. Though, if you do like this horse, you're going to be getting a price. That's for sure. Let's talk about the Philly. We've got Nest. Who was second in the Kentucky Oaks Your grade one Ashland winner 
DZ, she was favored in the Oaks and she was good that day. You know, she lost to Secret Oath, who was just a little bit better. We thought it was a really nice group of fillies. I, uh, speed figure wise, she's a, a little below what the best have. She's not completely overmatched, but she would need to take a step up in here. Breeding wise, this this is right up her alley. She should be able to run all day long. But and when would sort of, I don't think I'm not getting the sense at least that she's going to be like a shortish price. I don't. I, I mean, in this race, I think the price probably makes sense for what she will be. Are you going to be using her at all? What do you think about Nest? I mean. Depending on the price, sparingly in the bottom of the exotics, which is similar to what I said, like eight plus, like around close to double digits. If it's like yeah, less than that, yeah, like, I would. Yeah, yeah, if she was like five, six to one, I would toss her out completely. I agree. Um, if like five or below, like six yeah. would be like where I would start to start to th- think six and over. I just yep. don't. There's nobody in here that scares the heck out of me. You know, you know, there's but she two, needs, but she needs to. She needs to improve. She you does. Know, you got. Yep. You definitely, does. you know, yeah. I mean, you've got you've got Colts in here that are running 10, 11 points faster than she Absolutely. is from a buyer standpoint. Um, yep. you know, her Kentucky Oaks was good. Secret Oath just proved to be a better Philly, which is fine. Um, but you're hearing a lot of comparisons because of the connections to rags to riches. Um, and for me, the comparisons stop with they were both trained by Todd Pletcher. Um, rags to riches was by AP Indy out of a out of a, out of a deputy minister mayor by the name of Better Than Honor who produced Jazzle the year before who produced I believe Casino Drive and was yep, one Casino of the Drive. Yeah, yep. and was one of the greatest brood mares of the last like 30 years and by the way also produced a horse by the name of Man of Iron who won the Breeders Cup Marathon in 2009 so she didn't just produce good horses she pre- consistently produced good horses that relished going 12 furlongs or more. Now, is she bred to run quite a ways? Sure. She's by Curlin, who ran second in the Belmont, was a multiple classic winner. She's a full sister to Idol, who won the Santa Anita Handicap, albeit against horses like Express Train and Maxfield, but going a mile and a quarter. So sure, there's pedigree with that with, with her. This is not rags to riches. And don't get sucked into the idea that it, that it is. Now, in her defense, Rex to Riches also had to beat horses like Curlin and Hardspun, and there's certainly no Curlins or Hardspun in this field. But she's not that type of filly. She's a nice filly. I understand what they're doing. I understand why they're taking a shot here. Pletcher has had a ton of success in the Belmont Stakes, and I absolutely respect him when he shows up, and I don't think they would be running her here if they didn't think she had a chance. But like I said, she's got to be eight, nine, ten to one for me to use her, and I think for her, a win is is a pretty, pretty big stretch. Andrew, what do you think about Nest's chance in here? I like her better in this spot than I liked her in the Kentucky Oaks five weeks ago. If you listened to this show, you knew I was not a fan of Nest going into that particular race off of a career best effort in the Ashland that I thought she was going to bounce off of. She didn't move forward off that race. But she did repeat that race, and that was good enough to run second behind a very good horse in Secret Oath and ahead of another very good horse in Echo Zulu who wound up running fourth in that particular race. I've got something that, and I don't know if this is me overthinking or looking into this, but Mike Rapoli, who is a native New Yorker who values the Belmont Stakes, bought into Mo Donegal. 
He buys in Mo Donegal, who, just judging by the work tab, certainly seems like has been working with Nest. Yes, they, no, they've been working. All, all three works have been in company. Yep. And Mike Rapoli also owns Nest. I love Mo Donegal. And I have loved Mo Donegal in this race for a very, very long time. If Mo Donegal was a cinch, would they be running Nest here? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I and I don't. And maybe they will look at it like uh, they I want. know it's the Belmont and I know it's a grade one and you want to stack the deck and it was going to be a fairly short field. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody called Todd and said, hey, Todd, why don't you run Nest in the Belmont? And, and the horse's pedigree makes sense. I'm just, I'm looking at this and I'm of two minds. One, on a number standpoint, she either needs to improve or everyone else needs to take a step back. That's not illogical. While I don't necessarily love her on the win end, I'm certainly going to play pick four tickets with her on them as a saver of some sort because what I think is going to happen is I think she's going to drift way down in the wind pool down to about four to one, five to one, to where I can't better to win. But I don't think the multi-race exotics are going to reflect that. There's, now, there is one thing I will say um, into counter what, what Andrew just said. Uh, Nest is by Curlin. And I'm pretty sure one, the, one of the women from Stone Street where Curlin stands are included in the Eclipse Thoroughbred Partnership. Okay. So if you have a Curlin Philly win the Belmont Stakes, I think there is a lot of added incentive there uh, for both Curlin as a stallion and then for what this Philly becomes as a broodmare prospect. So I think it goes beyond. That's good to know. Fletcher. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think that's a factor. Now, I wonder, and I don't think that they will be they will both be treated like complete individuals with their chances to win. But maybe Nest is the horse who's a little more forwardly placed in here. You know, she's tracked. Me. She's yeah, tracked. She she's tracked a little bit, right? She's not been in races that were that fast, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't be too shocked because then it, it would also help the chances of the other Pletcher horse, Mo Donegal, who does need probably needs a little bit of help. He probably yeah, needs Yeah, I don't I don't think they're using this No, 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 but that's what I mean. Though. That's yeah. that's exactly what I'm saying. They're yeah. they're not going to be ridden for those chances, but that is something that would also help the other horse with the uh, with this horse putting some pressure and I think it would only help her chances being as close up as possible in a race like this. You you know, I don't I don't think she wants to be closing with the with a horse like Mo Donegal sitting right next to him trying to run with him. No, for I, her. I think her ideal spot for the connections, they would love for her to be sitting like third, fourth, fourth third, yep. fourth, like, but, but in the clear on the outside, not stuck on the rail, mm -hmm. get her, get her a clear run, keep her out of traffic and, and give her a shot. And if yep. she's no good, just, just, you know, take yep. care of her down the stretch. Yep. I think so too. I, I, I think she'll be close, close and, and I'm not, is close. Who knows? But I think other than we, the people, she could be right. One of those next couple horses right behind. And so if we, the people, were to falter, she could maybe take. She could be one that took advantage of that. That's sort of why I'll probably use her. It'll all, all come down to price, but not knowing what she'll be before, she'll be on a pick four or pick five of mine. You know, so I probably won't have to go too deep in some of the races leading up to this. So I'll probably have the opportunity to use one, one or two more in uh, in this spot if uh, if we get here. Let's move on to Rich Strike, the Derby winner, DZ. Now, I will say, he looks really. He's looked good training. Uh, just a couple things worth mentioning. He did go on the vets list after the Derby, which he has never done before. They said it's not 
something that's crazy in Kentucky. Anytime there's sort of like back issues, they have to really report everything. But that was the first time that he has been. He is a horse who was improving. By the way, let me let me tell you right now, as an owner, they put horses on the vets list in Kentucky after races with seemingly reckless abandon. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's like like they put threat level midnight on the vets list after like she got beat two and a half lanes into Keeneland and allowance because she came back looking tired. And and our trainer said to the to, said to the vet, she just went a half in 44 seconds, yeah. you know, with a legal <laughs> smile breathing down her neck. And she's come back bouncing all over the place. And you're, you know, it like so yeah, don't don't let that influence your handicapping too much. No. We got your 80 to 1 Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strike. Let that influence your handicapping. The fact that you didn't have him at 80 to 1, you're going to have to take him at 3 to 1 in the Belmont. <laughs> I, I, and I just, I'm, I, he's going to have to prove it to me. I, I don't think the shape of the race is going to be the what he needs. If I'm looking at this race and thinking that we the people is going to be tough, I he he ran a better race. Than Mo Donegal in the Derby, he ran a better race than ever. He was incredible in the Kentucky Derby. I will not take that race away from him at all. It was a great ride. It was a good trip. He performed awesome. Best race of his life. I'm gonna make him prove it. He had never run any race that was close to that before. He got some very ideal circumstances, and he parlayed that into a nice victory. If he beats, if he wins this race, he's gonna beat me. But I just think he's gonna be way, way shorter than what his actual chances of winning this race are. And then add the pace shape. I, I can't use him on the win end, and I'll, I'll I'll be trying to beat him for sure. Yeah, I mean, if there's a lot of different ways to approach this. Number one, if you go back in the history, the last twenty years of Kentucky Derbies that have been won by deep closers, whether you're talking about horses like Monarcos or you're talking about Giacomo, mind that bird. I mind that bird ran great in the Belmont Stakes, um, but the majority of them don't duplicate that race the vast majority of them don't come close to duplicating that race um, because the Belmont is a different type of race from a pace standpoint. It doesn't seem like he's going to get anywhere near the setup he got in the Kentucky Derby. Um, He has to be able to show that he could run two of those races in a row. All the things that you said, there's one other major factor at play here. Sonny Leon has never ridden at Belmont park. Uh, He's going to have a Mount on Friday in a turf race and he's listed on a horse in the first race on Saturday, which is a six furlong dirt race, which means that he was never going to come close to riding the mile and a half at Belmont. Uh, Listen, he made every single right move in the Kentucky Derby. It was one of the greatest rides in the history of the race. No disrespect to Sonny Leon. I'm not betting that he's doing that again. Going to Belmont Park, going a mile and a half, where when you get to the half mile pole, it's normally the spot on the racetrack that you're starting to ask your horse to go. Uh, and at Belmont, you really got another quarter of a mile before you have to get into them. It's a weird track. It plays tricks on jockeys, especially jockeys that are riding there for the first time. Uh, listen, I understand he's playing with house money. He's got the derby in his back pocket. Maybe he's as cool as a cucumber and he rides another great race, but You need a lot of things to fall into place here for this horse to duplicate that. And you're not getting 10 to one. You're not getting eight to one. You're getting like three to one on this horse. You can't take it. If he beats you, he beats you. But you have to bet that all of those stars are not aligning once again. Andrew, rich strike. So let's play a little game. And you can sing along with me on this. 
one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> one of these things just doesn't belong. Can okay. you tell? I know Here's that song. Milo has it on in the background. Yeah. By the time here, here, I finish this song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here are, here are some numbers, okay? And if you have your daily racing form, these numbers are going to jump off the page. 65, 56, 64, 68, 76, 84, 101. Take everything Darren said into account. Look at those numbers. What is there that tells you he's going to run another 101? Pace scenario that's uh, aside. There's nothing there that says he can run that same race that he ran five weeks ago with a picture-perfect setup. No thanks. Yeah, I just... I When the Kentucky Derby was finished, immediately I said... If this horse shows up anywhere again, I'm going to be playing against him because he's just going to be way shorter than he should be for the reasons that we've all mentioned. There are many reasons that, you know, people know his name now. He just he's got to prove it. And it's going to be way, way too short. Let's get to the second half of this field. We've got creative minister next. Darren, he ran a really good race in the Preakness. He would he yeah. finished third that day. He was behind two very nice horses who are two of the best three year olds in this group in early voting in an epicenter. That was his first start stepping up and facing company like that. And in his prior three races, he had done basically nothing wrong. And he's going to come back in three weeks. But he he feels like a really nice horse right now who's developing. And it's like one of those sort of horses that doesn't run in the derby, but we see every year that just kind of continues to progress. I'm expecting him to run a good race here. Yeah, the, the big question mark for me with him is the mile and a half. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but that's a question for all of them. Uh, yep. For the most part, I don't think it's a question for Mo Donegal personally, but I, I I think it's a question for the vast majority of the horses, including Creative Minister. Um, he is a highly talented horse. McPeak uh, has a positive history in bringing horses over here. Uh, I don't know if Brian Hernandez Jr. has ever run a race at Belmont Park. Um, which is certainly worth mentioning. And I didn't look up to see if he, uh, if he has any other mounts throughout the weekend there either. But um, I, I think he's going to fall into a very nice trip. Um, I think that uh, he's going to sit second or third off the speed. And I think that for the most part, he can um, carry that speed to the quarter pole in what will likely be, a pace that is not going to be too pressing. And with that playing out, if he can get to the mile and a half, uh, I think he is going to be in an advantageous uh, situation. By the way, he's not riding any other races at Belmont. He's actually riding a Churchill all week. Um, So I do think that of all the horses, I think he's going to get the best trip outside of we, the people who will, should easily make the lead. Uh, I really just think this horse's chances in the race come down to the 12 furlongs. And I I really do. I think if you handicap it on paper, uh, he is a logical win contender. I talked about the fact that I thought the Preakness was a much better race than the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Given the fact that he was not far behind early voting and epicenter, that certainly gives him a a plus in my book. And uh, he's going to likely be a major use for me. And I think the six to one on him is better value than certainly the two to one on We the People, certainly the three to one, seven to two on Rich Strike. And if Nest is also around six to one, 
I also think creative minister at six to one is, is a much fairer play at that price as well. Andrew, uh, what do you think about the minister? So my concern with him is the same concern that Darren has about the mile and a half. I see a horse that does have a lot of talent. I see a horse that has improved in each of his four starts, but you notice going from a mile and a 16th to a mile and three sixteenths, that improvement slowed down just a little bit. He wound up, I don't want to say hanging because that's the wrong word, but he was sort of one paced. Epicenter was gaining on early voting late in the Preakness. Creative minister was not. And that concerns me a little bit going from a mile and three sixteenths to a mile and a half. He's absolutely talented enough to win. And I do think he holds some value at his likely price, but the distance is a really, really big concern for me, even being out of a Tappet mayor, because we know how good an influence Tappet was distance wise. You see creative cause at the top. And I just think there's reason to believe that he's the horse you want running second or third at a reasonably nice price. I just don't think he wins. Yeah, he's he's actually akin to some nice horses. Tis Noble was a nice horse. Mm-hmm. Battalion yeah, Runner a nice was a nice mare. horse. Yeah, Battalion Runner ran second in the Wood Memorial to Irish War Cry, but was probably better at a mile and a mile and a 16th. So even, yeah, it, it's a nice tap at Mare. There's, you know, I, I don't think anybody, though, in, in terms of the siblings, have won beyond a mile and a 16th, uh, which is a little bit of a concern. It's not like classic mile and a half distance pedigree even with Tappet there so i share those those same concerns as andrew it's just like we talked about in the pregnancy it comes down to value you know and i somebody's got to get lost in the shuffle i imagine there's going to be enough kentucky derby dumb money on rich strike uh enough wise guy money on we the people that and enough money on mo donegal that creative minister has to be somewhere around six to one i think yeah i agree I agree that, and he he'll be in the mix for me all over. He feels he's probably not going to be a, he's probably not going to be a win candidate for me. I don't know if I'm going to be playing anybody in this race to win. To be completely honest, we'll see what the the prices are. But as far as a pick four, pick five player, he'll be in the mix. Andrew, we'll let you start with Mo Donegal. You proclaimed him the Belmont winner a few months ago, so you uh you peaked a little early last year. You, you know, you, you called your <laughs> shot, but you, you were you were three weeks early when it came uh, Preakness time. Tell us about Mo Donegal and uh, and what you think of. So in your head, you had him as the winner looking at this field as far as how it shapes up from a quality class standpoint, pace standpoint and stuff. Tell us how, how you think he uh, his chances are of winning this race. Still think he's your Belmont winner. It's just a matter of there being some stuff you're going to have to swallow along with that. When I picked him as the eventual Belmont winner, after he ran fifth in the Kentucky Derby, I was licking my chops because I figure, okay, we're going to get six, eight to one in the Belmont and I'll be a pretty happy camper. Insert the Wade Barrett. I'm afraid I've got some bad news, Jeff, right here because there's nobody left to run in the race. So Mo Donegal is likely going to be... second choice most likely maybe third choice if we're lucky i honestly wouldn't be stunned if he winds up going off a lukewarm five to two favorite but you look at this and you see a horse that is a closer but he's not the one run closer that has these sensational moves late in a race he's a grinder 
He's going to throw 12 and change furlongs out there for as long as they run the race. And those horses are the ones you want in the Belmont stakes, the horses that at a minimum, the distance will not beat. Now, there are some concerns that short price nest potentially being in the mix as a stable mate. The pace scenario is not ideal. I do still think he is the most likely winner. The other thing that I will caution you on, and in fact, I'm going to do the very nice thing, and I'm going to let somebody who's very good at explaining this take over here. When you see the trip notes for the Kentucky Derby, and you see 10 wide on Mo Donegal, you see 11 wide with Barbara. It's nonsense. That, that does not tell the accurate story. And with that in mind, I yield the floor to one Darren Zocali. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, at one specific point as they hit the top of the stretch, if you look at the exact perfect moment where they're at their widest, are they like probably eight wide or so? Yeah, but you have to take the entire race into account. Even Barber Road, where it says five, six wide on the second turn. If you go to the three eights pole, which is at the midpoint of the far turn of the Kentucky Derby, Mo Donegal is on the rail, literally, and Barber Road is in the two path, literally. Not exaggerating. Am I, Andrew? Andrew fell asleep. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're I'm definitely not. I'm just, not. I, I had accident. Uh, I accidentally hit the mute button. Uh, uh, no, you're not, no, exaggerating, I'm not exaggerating at all. They're literally there are screenshots yeah. that prove it. Yeah, it was a great he, trip. It was a Mo good Donigle, trip. He just Mo Donegal's literally on the rail, and Barber Road is literally in the two path. Now, what they do from that point to the quarter pole is they gradually start to shift their move to the outside to go around horses, and they are passing horses as they gradually move to the outside. It's not as if they were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten wide for a quarter of a mile in the far turn. So for the love of God, don't look at that comment line and say, oh my God, I love this horse. He was 10 wide on the far turn. He wasn't 10 wide on the far turn. He was wide in the moment he came off the turn and into the stretch. Now, that being said, he ran a great race. You know, he did not get off to a, a good beginning. Whether or not it was the one hole that caused it, you know, it's really rather irrelevant because he didn't break well. He went, he ended up farther back, I'm sure, than Irad and Todd wanted him to be. And he finished well. Now, granted, with the fractions that we saw, he had to finish well. I mean, it, the race set up perfectly for his run. He just had to come from too far back. Uh, and the same could be said for Barber Road. Now, there's two different ways to look at this, but I thought Mo Donegal had to make a little bit of an extra physical move to kind of bully his way through in between horses where he kind of snuck in between Barber Road and other horses. They made their move and he did out finish Barber Road by about a length. Um, is he more than a length better than Barber Road at a mile and a half? Certainly possible. Um, are you going to take five to two on Mo Donegal versus 10 to one, 12 to one on Barber Road? I could certainly understand why somebody would make the argument. These two horses finished virtually side by side in the Kentucky Derby. Why am I taking one fourth the price on one of them? Uh, I, that being said, I still think Mo Donegal is a better horse. I think he's going to be a better horse at a mile and a half. And uh, I think if there is any type of pace scenario, he's the horse that's going to come running late and not rich strike. But he's going to have to make sure he stays relatively close, which he's shown that he could do before. Yeah, he ran in um, early voting. Yeah. 
Each yeah, he's sh- he's shown that he could do it before, and he's going to be coming. I have no doubt about it. Uh, I think it's extremely likely that he hits the board. It's just a question of does the pace come back to him enough, and uh, you know we'll see because deep closers going a mile and a half. We know it's tricky, which is why he's got to lay close, and I think Irad knows that. Uh, and hopefully it doesn't take too much of the starch out of him because he's a legitimate win contender. Yep, I think so too. I, I like I like him. It's a good spot for him. You know, it, yeah. he's the horse who I liked in the Derby, and it just he didn't run bad in the Derby. He got a pretty good trip. There were one or two things that maybe could have gone slightly different, but he wasn't going to ever win that race. Maybe could have finished a little bit closer. And it's a good spot. He's a, he's the most proven of these horses in this group. He has been competing with the best repeatedly, and he doesn't really have a bad race. There, there's nothing really to, to no, you know, no, you know, Never so it's bad. even, you know, he, he may not, you know, that the third place finish in the Holy Bull was a nice comeback race for him. Came back in the wood. He fits. You're not going to get rich. There's, there's one more thing I'll say that I forgot. Please, about. please um, do. We used to talk about some of his, I won't use the word antics, but, uh, Andrew, you remember at times we talked about that the mental game wasn't always there for him, where right. if you watched his races, he would kind of start running, stop running. You had to get after him, start running, stop running. If you go back and watch the Holy Bull, the, he like has no interest at the midpoint of the far turn. Looks like he's going to be nowhere. And then all of a sudden he decides to run and explodes in the last like 80 yards of the race. Uh, and we said if he does that in the Kentucky Derby, he can't win. Now, he didn't win the Derby, but he also didn't do that. And I think there's an argument to be made from a maturity standpoint that in his last two races the light switch has gone on and he has grown up a lot. And if you ask me out of all of the horses in this race, who is the most likely to explode with a career best effort? The answer is Mo Donegal. I agree. I agree. Good spot for, for Mo. And let's get to the final two in the Belmont uh, DZ. We got golden glider who was well defeated by we, the people he's going to be a big long shot in here. He was a, uh, you know, to be honest, his I liked him in the Peter Pan because if you look at his Tampa and his bluegrass and, and going into the Peter Pan, he fit really well in there. He had like sn- kind of sneaky trouble in both of those races and ran particularly well. And if you look, he was fourth in the Tampa Bay Derby, and then he came back and he was fourth in the bluegrass behind three horses that were just better than him. Zandon, Smile Happy, and Emmanuel, who's a nice horse, and we saw come back out of that race to to win on the turf. So I don't. He didn't take the next step forward And this is obviously a lot tougher group I actually, I did like him going into the Peter Pan But I I don't know if I can make very much of a case For him in here He's going to really need to improve And everyone else will If he wins, you'll get rewarded Any you know thoughts on Golden Glider? Yeah, I, I don't think he's anything close To a mile and a half horse um, I, I honestly think that this horse Is going to do better If they turn him back a little bit To be honest yep. with you Yep. Um, based on how I've seen him run, based on the fact that he's not finishing his races, I, I do agree with some of your points about the trouble, but he's still losing ground in the stretch consistently as the races get longer, which is not something you want to see when a horse is stretching out to a mile and a half for the first time. Certainly has plenty of stamina on the top side of his pedigree. He's by the freak ghost zapper, but he's out of a Breeders' Cup sprint winning dam. You take a look at the siblings. None of them really went long. Um, and he just got beat by 10 and a quarter lengths by we, the people. So it's, you know, I don't know what you would hang your hat on here to say Mm -hmm. that he's going to turn the tables on we, the people in the spot, uh, let alone the rest of the field. I just, I just don't think he's a mile and a half horse and he won't be on any of my tickets here, but 
Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I would have ran this horse in the mat win. That's that's where I would have put. Yeah, he would have fit. He would have fit really well. I, I think he's he's nice, Andrew. But this seems like a spot that's. A, I can under. I, I think they looked at this race and didn't think it was probably the strongest in the world and thought, hey, maybe we could hit the board in here. And and that's probably why he's in this race. Uh, do you like Golden Glider at all, or will he be uh, in any of your tickets? No, I don't like him much at all in here. I do think he might be the horse that has to at least put up token resistance to we the people early on. He did show some speed two starts back in the bluegrass. And if you're going to hang your hat on anything, speed was not doing well that day at Keeneland. And he was up close to the pace when he ran fourth smile. Happy wound up collaring him at the top of the lane. And that wound up ultimately being all she wrote for golden glider that day. I think maybe he goes early. Dylan Davis has been uh, having an exceptional year in New York. He's turned the corner and become a really nice rider. I think ultimately it's going to fall on him to make sure we the people doesn't get too far away. And if that winds up benefiting other horses in the race, namely Mo Donegal is my top pick. That's fantastic. As far as his win chances, uh, to me, he's probably the least likely winner in the field. DZ, let's finish it up with Barber Road. He's going to take the blinkers off. Joel Rosario is going to jump aboard for John Ortiz. He, you know what? This this is a horse who always shows up. Every race that he's ever been in, he's always given a really good account of himself. I mean, you go back to his maiden race, and, and we can maybe toss that one. But ever since then, since he's come back, he's been really, really honest. He's continued to step up, and every time he's been in a race that seemed like it was going to be tougher for him, he's put forth a pretty good effort. Could he win this race? Can he be competitive in here? Or what do you think about Barber Rhodes' chances? I, I mean, I don't think he's ever run a race fast enough where he could win this race. Yeah. Um, yeah. If everything works out perfectly, can he run third or fourth? Sure. Um, I, I will ask this question. Why did they take Raylu Gutierrez off this horse? I was going to ask the exact same question. My guess is they were able to get Joel Rosario and look. Joel Rosario is a world-class rider. I understand if you can get him, you probably should. But man, this stinks for Raylu, who's, again, as I've mentioned on several shows on several platforms, one of maybe five graduates of the State University of New York at Cortland that I like. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he certainly has done nothing wrong with this horse. The hor- I mean, especially when you speak to the point that the consensus on this horse is that he is an overachiever. And part of the reason why he's an overachiever is the rider. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the rider has been doing a great job to get this horse um, in through these races where maybe he hasn't won, but doing enough to make the Derby. You know, did he ride? Did, did he do something in the Derby that, you know, John Ortiz didn't like? I, I don't know. Did he tell Ray Lou, I have a chance to get Joel Rosario and I have to do it? I I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I do feel bad for Ray Lou, who's been, you know, one of the best riders in the country, to be honest with you, yes. since uh, the last, you know, two or three, two or three months. Um, the blinkers are coming off. We'll see what that does. I have no clue. Um, you know, this horse, as we talked about at times earlier in his career, showed speed. It's kind of interesting as... He matured. He kind of completely changed his running style uh, and came from dead last in the Kentucky Derby. Now, again, similar to Mo Donegal, um, he just took back to last. He was sat a good trip, had no issue, came with a belated run. 
it's hard for me to see this horse uh, finishing better than Mo Donegal did, uh, which is why I say that like a third place finish is probably his ceiling. Um, and, and I would be pretty surprised if he was actually able to win this race. But at double digit odds, 10, 11, 12 to one, he'll find his way onto the bottom of, of some of my tickets. Andrew, finish us up with Barber Road. I totally forgot that he was 60 to one in the Kentucky Derby, which is what happens when an 80 to one shot wins the race. But nobody uh, could be more than 50 to one in the Derby anymore. Don't forget. Oh yeah. 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 Obviously just, you know, can't, can't do that. Can't ever do that. But I thought his race in the Kentucky Derby was fine. My issue with him is a, he sort of seems to find trouble, and that's not the fault of the rider. Some horses are just very, very difficult to ride, and you can't ride them safe, otherwise they'll lose interest. Richard Migliori said that was the case with Artie Schiller, a very, very good turf miler, that you couldn't ride safe. You sort of had to ride him into trouble and between horses and into weird spots, and maybe Barber Road is that kind of horse, but in conjunction with that, this is a horse that hasn't won since November of 2021 when he beats starter allowance foes going six and a half furlongs at Churchill. He's a nice horse overachievers, a darn good word, especially since he cost $15,000 and has made $650,000. But between his inability to get to the front against horses that aren't running here and the fact that he's going a mile and a half, which he is in no way bred for, no thanks for me. DZ, just a field of eight in here, and it doesn't feel like we're going to have an overwhelming favorite. I'd imagine there will probably be that group of of three, and then it comes down to, is it going to be Nest and Creative Minister maybe taking a little bit more money, probably a couple tiers, you know, with maybe with We the People, Mo Donegal and Rich Strike, and then the next tier there. How are you sort of looking or thinking about playing this race early on a few days out. We know that we haven't really gone deep into the undercards yet. So a lot of it will come down to maybe how you're approaching earlier races in pick fours, pick fives and stuff, but give us some of your, uh, your thoughts on maybe horses you'll be using and not using. Yeah. I, I won't have any more than three horses on my, um, horizontal exotics, multi-leg exotics. Um, probably Mo Donegal and creative minister will have equal use on the top line. Um, as I imagine, we, the people is probably going to be heavily supported. Uh, I will certainly include him in some of my pick fours and pick fives with the right combination of horses in front, but I will have multiple tickets, uh, and potentially, you know, multiple ways to be live to creative minister and Mo Donegal, who are the two horses that I probably prefer at the price to rest. I'm not going to have anybody else on, on my tickets in terms of pick fours and pick fives. Uh, I'm going to look for value in some of the other races, mainly like the Jiper and the uh, and the Manhattan. Uh, and then the vertical exotics, uh, pretty simple. Um, you know, I'm not putting Mo Donegal and We the People together. Uh, there's no value in doing that. Creative Minister is the value of the three that I like. So I'll probably like I'll probably do some kind of a tri key box situation where he's got to be involved. And then I would need, um, you know, a, a price horse like a Skippy Longstocking or a, you know, Barber Road or somebody like that to get up for third in the try. But I'm not going to be investing a ton into the vertical exotics of the race because I just don't see a ton of value in doing so. Uh, win bet on Creative Minister at six to one or more. Um, but I'm going to probably focus the majority of my bankroll onto the multi-race exotics 
using those three with a heavy lean on creative minister and Mo Donegal. Andrew, finish up, uh, finish us up with some of your final thoughts on how you might be approaching the Belmont this weekend. Yeah, Darren and I are in agreement on a lot of this. Not entirely, but on a lot of this. For me, it's Mo Donegal with Neston Creative Minister. Mo Donegal's a lone A for me. Neston Creative Minister are going to be B-type horses. I respect We the People. At 2-1, to one, to me, he offers absolutely no value. Give me Mo Donegal, the likely second choice, and throw that one in with Neston Creative Minister, both of whom are probably going to be in that 5-1, to 6-1 to one range. And maybe that's how you get some value out of this particular race. But I saw Mo Donegal win the Wood Memorial like a horse that could go all day. He did nothing to disprove that notion in the Kentucky Derby. And he's my Belmont horse, has been for a while. Really hope he is that Belmont horse two and a half minutes after they start this coming Saturday. DZ, I'm sure this week you'll have a lot of content out there. Tell us where we can follow you on social media, some of the stuff that you'll have along with uh, with Belmont. You've got earlier stuff in the week for Belmont, and you do a lot of stuff uh, midweek too with some of the midweek betbacks. Yeah, with the midweek betback promotion at Twin Spires, so you'll, you'll get my video content for t- racing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, for the Belmont, uh, we're going to be having uh, at Twin Spires a money-back offer on all of the races Friday and Saturday that qualify based on the number of entries. So I'll certainly have. So just the Belmont and the Jiper <laughs> and the Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, believe it or not, with a five-horse field at Twin Spires, we give you money back for second. So there's, there's nice. value. Yeah, awesome. there's value there. Yeah, there's value there. Uh, but I'll be putting out videos for Friday and Saturday uh, specific to the money back special. Uh, if you go to twinspires.com, uh, the day of the races, you get my expert pick videos on each and every race from Belmont Park. And then I also have uh, the assignment of being joined uh, by uh, Nick Tamaro to review the nice. New York Stakes on Friday and the Manhattan Stakes on Saturday. And then I will be joined by Scott Shapiro uh, to uh, preview the Met Mile and the Belmont Stakes as well. So you'll be getting a lot of my face uh, out at the Twin Spires Beautiful. social media account uh, this coming week. So I apologize in advance for that. Hopefully I make it up to you with some winning selections. Milo, I feel like we're hearing a baby crying in the back. I was going to say, Milo sounds very excited about that. Yeah, he, <laughs> loves, he, he loves that beautiful mug of yours. AC, you joined us from uh, from Toronto. He doesn't so sound was... like he loves that beautiful mug of mine. He, he sounds like everybody when they see my face pop up on Twitter. Oh, not this guy again. He, he walked in a minute ago, so he sees Papa over here sitting down. Andrew, oh, what a... What's been going on with you? Tell everybody where you've been and then uh, what you have coming up this week. Thanks so much for hanging out with us while you're up in uh, in Toronto. No, it's no problem at all. I am at the Sigma Americas Conference up here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Really fun city. Got the chance to walk around a little bit after day one of the conference. Was able to connect with somebody that a lot of people in the horse racing industry know and like very, very much. Dawn Lupel was a panelist on one of the uh, events that I went to today cannot say enough nice things about her as everyone else in the industry can attest. Uh, but yeah, I will be here until Friday morning, hoping so at least with the nonsense surrounding Pearson airport in Toronto, go look that one up and, you know, book your tickets to Toronto right away. Some real horror stories going on there with lack of staffing and a number of other issues, but 
I will be back on the West Coast on Friday. So looking forward to creating some Belmont content in the interim when I am not in conference mode. I am also going to be making my first trip to Woodbine this coming Thursday. I'll be writing that up for the fine folks over at Play Canada. That's going to be a lot of fun. I have heard that is an absolutely wonderful facility with tremendous roast beef sandwiches. Not like I'm looking forward to anything specific, but that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to putting that together for the people up in Play Canada. Uh, just a lot of really fun stuff going on here. And uh, you can check my Twitter at, at Andrew Champagne for all the latest. Fellas, thank you so much. Really appreciate always uh, always diving in on the big racing days. Next week, we'll get back, DZ, to our uh, old wrestling rewatch. What do we got? Uh, we got in uh, Over the Edge, right, Andrew? 1998. Uh, For 1998, just, yes. Just shortly An absolutely after, horrible undercard with a great main event. Mm-hmm, shortly after Austin wins the, the title, um, it's Austin against Dude Love, and it's one of those matches when Vincent was just trying to stack the deck completely against him. It was it was pretty fun. So we'll talk about that one in uh, a cool time period in uh, during WWF. So we'll have an old wrestling rewatch coming up soon this weekend, the Belmont. So we uh, we thank Darren and Andrew for helping us out. But don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come. Always a blast talking with my buddies Andrew and Darren, and good work. From them as always being well prepped For the big races So make sure to give them a follow And check out some of the great content That they'll have coming up this weekend We shift on over to Louisiana Downs Let's go through the Saturday card I will post a video And some social media posts for Sunday And then Monday, Tuesday I'll be on the broadcast I'll also post some stuff for Monday And uh, Louisiana Downs You can find selections from me every single day That they're racing out there at Louisiana Race number one, June the 11th, we're looking at the $5,000 non-winners of two claimers, six and a half the distance. I thought the three public records should be able to sit a pretty nice trip. He sat just, he should sit just behind Paint Your Wagon, who's the one to catch in here. Public record went seven furlongs, was pressing, and that was on a big drop down in class. Prior to that, he faced maiden special weights on the turf in a pretty tough race, behind a horse named Whitaker who went wire to wire. Before that, he was at Oakland Park against Maiden 50s and Maiden 20 claimers. So I think he's he's in a good spot here right back. Public record is the play for me on top of Painter Wagon. 3-5 with the four sidebar, the blinkers on, cutting back from a mile. So he should be picking up some pieces, and he's the one that they'll have to hold off in here, dropping in from 12-5. 3-5-4 in race number one at Louisiana. Moving to race number two. I thought this one's going to be pretty chalky. I just couldn't get away from Soul Song because I'm, I'm projecting the one and the three to battle it out a little bit. Even the four probably will be more pressing, but I, if the one and three end up hooking up, it should set up really nicely for Soul Song, I think, just to sit right behind the two of them. Now, if he gets caught up with the two of them, then maybe the four is the one that gets the trip. But I just I think the two is the best horse in here and, and should probably sit right behind so we'll find out early the tactics chosen for Soul Song, but all three inside horses could be in the mix early. And if so, then maybe something crazy happens. In the third race, we get to the turf. $10,000 non-winners of three. There's not much speed in here. Outer Banks, good show on Netflix. Going to go back to the turf. Second start off the bench. Should be closer up stretching out. There is not really much other early speed in here. The number five, Outer Banks. Give him a look in race number three. The number seven, 
it will be um in the mix for me probably the horse to beat on the drop exiting a race where the top two were one two throughout there was just no passing there I just don't know if he's gonna get a setup in this race either freight train Freeman could be sitting in a much better spot maybe just a little closer up mid pack five seven six in the third moving to race number four we've got a non-winners of two Louisiana bred Philly mare three-year-old and up mile and 70 on the dirt I'm looking at the five Tin can dance who's going to go back to the dirt back in with Louisiana breads tried open company going a mile on the turf wasn't a bad effort the race has already come back live he ran into a nice horse and the runner-up came back to win tin can dance was a little bit slow that day the form at delta was good he just needs a little bit she just needs a little bit of pace to run at the four fashion merit that's is the horse to beat the one heart that binds she doesn't mind finishing second or you know some under spots she'll be better here getting back to the dirt second off and she just isn't quite as quick as fashion merit so she'll need to come from off the pace a little bit. That's why I've used her under in the third spot. Five, four, one. Remember, this kicks off the pick four in race number four. Fifth race, we will go seven and a half furlongs on the turf. The nine in here is the horse who I uh, I like a little bit. That's gold included. Exit's a much tougher race. The winner of that race ju- had just won for $30,000 against 30 restricted claimers at fairgrounds before that May 28th win. The runner-up, Quinn Murphy, is an 11-time winner. Two starts back, she was in against $7,500 open claiming company, and the winner that day came back to win again and against $7,500 claimers by four next time out. I like the races she exits, and she has some of the best overall turf form. The one gold bear should be forwardly placed from the inside. The six, that's sharpened up. It's a 12-time winner on the turf. She didn't really fire last time out. She's kind of up close and then just sort of backed up. But she's definitely worth, he is definitely worth a look. Sharpened up the number six. 9167 Sierra Hotel. Obvious measuring stick contender type for this field. It's like others a little bit more in here. In the sixth race, Louisiana bred maiden $10,000 claimers, fillies, and mares. Six furlongs the distance. The five sport palace comes off of a pretty decent effort behind a horse named Lily and Nan who just got a much better trip and got the jump on her that day. Stella Link tried tougher on the turf. Ashley's girl is super logical off that runner-up effort. 5-4-2 in the sixth. Closing out Louisiana Downs for Saturday with race number seven. 12-5 non-winners of two on the turf. Louisiana breads. The number five in here, Joe Boy, has some turf races versus better. Not a wind machine at all, but the grass form is not bad, and this is a much softer spot. You got the 6-1 for Vivi, who is a nice winner on the turf and should be uh, last time out, and he should be sitting close. Dewdrop Kid, off the runner-up effort last time out. Has to be a player right back. And the 8 horse would uh, also be one to use in Exotics, Grace Sloan. Just a few turf races, but the last two of them have both been pretty good and one more step forward would have him right there five six two and eight in the seventh at louisiana that is on saturday we'll have more louisiana weekend coverage for you just follow along it's me gino b we'll have some sunday and some monday stuff over on twitter now i'm gonna start talking a little bit of wrestling koopaloo chad cooper uh, is with us and 
because of the schedule, I'm, I'm heading out of town. Normally, Chad and I will record on Thursday so we can go over everything that happens throughout the week. But uh, we had to record on Wednesday this week. So Chad helped me talk about everything going on in WWE. And then I actually watched AEW myself. So I'll recap AEW a little bit and give some thoughts on Dynamite following the uh, the conversation with Chad. So you'll get some WWE. We talk about Hell in a Cell and Cody Rhodes. Wow, that was impressive. We talk about Monday Night Raw. Then we get into NXT. And we talk about the In Your House show from over the weekend. And then also uh, everything happening in NXT. Koopa Loop joins me for this week in wrestling. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Oh, we're back with this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Last week, you had to hear my annoying voice go through everything in wrestling even a little bit longer. And and when Chad, it's it's funny. It's, I didn't I don't talk to you for one week. It feels like a year. You know, it's just it's so used to like <laughs> talking to you consistently all the time. I hope you're feeling better, buddy. And uh, and thanks for jumping in a little early this week. So because I'm leaving out of town to go hang out. And Oklahoma, a buddy of mine's getting married. We're recording a little bit early, so we won't be talking as much AEW this week. But we, because we're recording before Dynamite, so I think a lot will probably happen and change. But there was a few things I wanted to talk about there, and then we'll get into uh, everything going on in WWE. A, a bummer for for Punk and and for AEW because we're we're hard on AEW and we're critical on AEW. But the reason why we are. Is because we want them to be successful and we want all wrestling companies to be be successful and to sort of be consistent and maybe be a little bit different. And so sometimes when they're not doing things the best or when WWE's not, we're going to call them out. I think we just call out AEW a little bit more. It's like the honeymoon period wasn't really there for us quite as much. We just sort of have been critical with them. But we were really – we were really – Honest and genuine I think with our Feelings about CM Punk throughout his Entire comeback at the beginning We were a little hesitant We weren't quite as Excited about some of the matches That he was in that others were And then it flipped it felt like After about a month or two Once he started getting involved in storylines Things changed When he was going with Kingston And then the MJF stuff and then it just felt like he really was a big star. He was improving in the ring. And then the last, I don't know when he got hurt, Coop, but before that Hangman Page match, and then the match after that, he was not the same guy that he had been for the prior few months. He was off. He was sort of botching things here and there. It just felt like something was off. It's a big bummer because this was this was the star that they wanted, they got, and he was he was finally kind of putting it all together now and kind of getting his his rust off and getting his sea legs behind him and now he's hurt and they don't really know what what's going to happen next. Yeah, it, total bummer here. Uh we we've been watching closely the CM Punk uh his AEW career uh very very closely uh in which we should because, you know, there was there's a couple of massive signings uh directional Type changing signings that AEW has done over the last year or two, 
And he, you know, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, uh, you know, are, are, are two of the ones that we kept a very close eye on. And, uh, you know, it took a while to get warmed up. Um, he got going. And uh, for all sense and purposes, you and I both, and I, I think majority of the AEW fans uh, wanted to see this title, this AEW World Heavyweight Championship, go to CM Punk, in which it did. But you're right. Uh, we, we were hard on Punk uh, throughout the, the early stages. And again, there, there was something off here over the last month with CM Punk. And it looks like he was bearing some sort of injury. Now there's word is, it, you know, even though he, I don't think he has come out and said exactly what it is. But there's some reports out there that his foot is broke. It's going to need some, uh, you know, some pins, surgery. There's going to be an extended time off. But something was wrong. Something wasn't right. Uh, he did not look good. Uh, the match with Hangman Page was lackluster. Uh, and if you're dealing with a severe injury like that, um, uh, you know, it, it is just something, especially with a lower leg that carries your body and helps maneuver and stability and balance. Uh, it, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, you're going to have problems in the ring. And, and it sucks not only uh, for him, uh, but AEW, because you you talk about this all the time. You know, some of these guys and girls aren't spring chickens anymore. No. Uh, we're older. Uh, we don't. We just don't heal as quick. Things are different when the you recovery, get back. The yes, recovery time is even long. Even though uh, you know modern medicine is is fantastic at what it does. Uh, you know, father. You know, father time. Um, Forty forty five is, is different than twenty twenty five. Is is not kind. And you mm -hmm. know, you look on Facebook and all these people posting their pictures of their kids uh, the first day of grade school, and then here recently. A year later, the last you, you compare them and somebody posted a picture of CM Punk a year ago last week. And then the state says, wow, what a year difference. Makes. And, and man, it does. And it's just it's just too bad. It, it's too bad. But, uh, yeah, Father Time uh, takes no prisoners. And, uh, you know, AEW is, I think, going to go with interim. You know, mock, you know, we're taping this on a Wednesday. Moxley is uh, facing a casino battle royal. Uh, winner, winner and for an interim, I guess, or, you know, um, I think so just because it's, they don't know. And, and I don't see, I don't like the interim tag. I, I, I just like saying, Hey, look, punk is out. He's hurt when he's back. He's going to get a title shot. That's Number fine. one contender. Absolutely. That's completely fine. The interim thing just sounds a little bit weird. And I don't know if they're doing that with some, with a plan, of who they want the other person to be And then so at some point they can have this Undisputed thing But yeah I would just prefer if they Because AEW does a really good job of just being Honest with their fans that's one thing they do Really well you know like they don't Because sure. they know a lot of their hardcore fans Are on social media anyways So for the most part they don't really try to trick their fans That's kind of why the MJF stuff has been a little weird Because normally they don't really try to Like hardcore work their fans They kind of are just like, hey, here's what's gonna come, and you're gonna love it, and and a lot of the hardcore <laughs> fans do, but yeah, this is a bummer because you build you you built uh, a lot of your show around him. I mean, he was opening the shows every week. He was the big part and the big ratings draw, and now now he's gone, and now who knows what's happening with MJF? I mean, I don't. This is that MJF stuff is weird. It really is because it's like that's. It's there's definitely some work to it. There's definitely a little shoot to it. They got 
I think themselves a little confused. And the whole thing that I thought was weird, Coop, is when you have fans pay money for something like the meet and greet, and then you know show that. That's the one thing that that made me all along wonder if this was more than just a work because that doesn't seem like something AEW would want to do is have five, ten, a hundred fans upset that they paid money for for something and the, and they no showed. I I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I really don't. I wish I could say yes. Me too. My belief, my belief is kind of cool. Yeah, it, it is. My belief is it's a work. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't think they would have gave the guy a microphone again. Here we are. Um, MJF, no title, and last week on Dynamite was it last week? Uh, it, it seems like so much has happened mm-hmm. since the last time I've talked to you. It I think was in last the week, forum, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, out so in last LA. Week, last week, the microphone, uh, he, he does the promo. Um, I would have probably either opened up with that or ended with that, and then they remove everything. Of him from social media I don't I, I really don't I really don't know what's going on The problem is he's under contract for a while uh, At least a, a, Another solid year uh, You know is, is this a Baker Mayfield Type situation where the guy Is going to sit out We've seen this multiple times in different sports I, You know I don't know I, I don't think anyone knows Except Tony Khan and MJF uh, as you said, AEW has been uh, very open. They've been a very open book. Uh, but this is the first time I, that I can remember that we have a, a, a problem uh, in AEW with talent. Um, if this guy is working everybody, if there's truth in there, he's not happy and he, and he doesn't want to he, he doesn't want to be there. I can say this. The guy is still the guy. Uh, that, that people talk about because look, last Wednesday, look, all these losses we've talked about with MJF, you know, this thing with Wardlow, he has made Wardlow a, a, a massive in the moment star. And I'm going to be honest with you, Gino, last week, Wardlow felt didn't like feel that port like to me. nothing. He felt like absolutely no nothing without the MJF around him. And that and credits MJF, man. A hundred percent agree. It felt like. That was a big I will say last week's show was a good and now it's so hard because coming off of the show, we know Punk's out and he he got hurt, but it was a fun show. There was a really good energy because it was their first time in Southern California and a lot of there was a lot of people on the roster that are from SoCal, so family and people were around and you could tell that they were excited to be there and then the Wardlow was the one thing that one of the main things coming out of that show that was glaring. He just he felt like such a step down from where he was. Yeah, and, and I wish I wish you know they would have went with a sense of, of purpose into another a right into another storyline storyline with him. Right when he's hot. Take yeah, advantage the match of was a little honky. You know, it just wasn't just something was off. There was no purpose. And that goes to show you you have to have storylines, man, to keep people interested and involved. Because man, once that pop is gone. Ask WWE. It's hard to get back. It's hard to get get guys and girls back into into that zone, unless you're in the top five percent, like Randy Orton, John Cena, Roman Reigns, guys like that. I'm not saying there's no one like that over at, at AEW, but Wardlow hasn't been around long enough. And, and he's coming be- off of like a two, like a the biggest storyline, story right? Line. Something that was like such a huge and really well done story. This is a problem with 
I think all of the the wrestling now because there's so much of it and mm-hmm. there's so much like well we're trying to pop ratings and we want to put really great stuff like we want to make sure that everything that is on our TV all the time has to be really really great or people are going to change the channel and and as someone who produces content we we know like sure that makes sense you want to make sure that everything you have out there all the time is is like really exciting but then on the flip side you don't really get to to like develop stories as well because everything can't be to the highest point at all the time there has to be lulls and ebbs and flows in every story like every tv show that you watch on episodes every episode of everything isn't just balls to the wall from start to finish it's ups it's downs it's you know moments that are a little bit quieter softer that build 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 to a crescendo and wrestling's sort of in this weird spot now where it just there's so much of it it's so hard to build you know, like like you used to in the olden days, where you used to be able to like really build stories and let them flow a little bit more. Now, boom, that MJF one's over. Why don't they have something ready? Why don't they have what's next for for Wardlow to go right into? Um, I, I hope they do. Maybe they do, and maybe last week was just one week where you sort of like it's the the palate cleanser in between. We're gonna just have him come out here and do something wonky, and then next week he gets attacked by whomever, someone, someone. Up on the card and, and that becomes something But I hope so because this guy was really Over you did a great job with Wardlow You don't want to squander that And and uh, Make sure to take advantage of it right now So AEW We'll find out more about them uh, a little Later on and uh, Coop and I will talk A lot about AEW next week and we'll see What's happening with the, their world title Picture and as they get ready for The Forbidden Door pay-per-view Let's Go back to another pay-per-view I think they're called a uh, live events Premium live events now <laughs> And uh, Hell in a Cell The shows that we come into without a lot of expectations Always deliver Always I, It's, you know, the build And sometimes the, the week-to-week TV Can be a little eye-rolling at times But damn, I don't know who I heard one of the shows I was listening to say If you just watch the WWE pay-per-views and not the TV in my, as much in between You would really really like like love the product And think it was very good <laughs> You know there would be some things That you maybe couldn't follow along But the shows and the They still almost always deliver Coop the paper This was a really good show yeah. The opener and, and the main event Are excellent matches And the main event is a match we'll be talking about forever With, with what happened but I mean, well, let's go through it. Bianca, Oscar, Becky. What'd you think of the uh, the women's triple threat ra- uh, match that Bianca ends up winning? You know, it's okay. Um, I, I thought that adding, you know, I was really reluctant a little bit adding Becky Lynch to uh, to the match a couple of weeks ago, but now I see why uh, it it definitely added to it. You know, they got nineteen twenty minutes to start the show. Um, it, it was just good. It, it, it just goes to show you that the women's locker room, that women's roster on the WWE is just second to none. And it's just a solid start. And it's hard to start a WWE, whether you call them pay-per-view or what, it's hard to start um, this type of show. You can't just do it with any match. And letting these three ladies go 19, 20 minutes uh, was good. Uh, we got an interesting direction that we're going in. It looks like we're leaving Oscar and Becky Lynch behind with Bianca now for a little while, um, which is good. I think she needs that. But as far as an opener, uh, 
you, you really it, it's it's that's hard to beat, man. It was a solid opening match uh, for LNSL. Lashley beat Omos and MVP. And what's um so I didn't I haven't been a big fan of this throughout I, the Omos stuff. Like I mean, I've gotten more warmed up to Omos. He he's gotten a little bit better, but he's still not someone who I think is. A major player or someone who could be more than just like right now, more than just generic big guy. He doesn't really stand out to me more than that than just oh, here's the the big guy that they have. I do like the fact that it feels like at least we're moving away from this, and Lashley has new direction from what we saw on Monday night. So I'm glad that the right guy seems to have gone over in the feud. I'm not gonna love every feud and every combination of everything. This wasn't like wrestle crap all time bad stuff. It just wasn't. We, we Lashley feels like one of the few like really big stars still around. I think we could do more with Lashley. That's probably why I was disappointed with this from top to bottom. But at least he gets the win. He goes over and he's gonna be moving forward. And and it looks like uh, involved with uh, Austin Theory in a feud. Yeah, you know, we talk about age. I think Lashley's 45, 46 years old. Uh, seriously. Um, and this guy is in incredible uh, shape. Um, not just now, but he's throughout his entire career. Uh, these matches have gotten better. Uh, and that's not saying a whole lot. You, you notice Bobby Lashley, what he pinned MVP. So they definitely protected Omos here. Um, you know, Lashley, the Spears to Omos are, are, are really what we're there for. And he did just that. Uh, and I think we're leaving this, uh, this feud behind. I do like this, this interesting new direction we're going, uh, that we saw in raw and, uh, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. You know, the dirty dogs look like they may be turning face here. We haven't seen them in since, Ziggler lost the title on uh, the NXT title to to Braun Breaker on Monday Night Raw. You know what? Uh, right after WrestleMania, we hadn't seen the Dirty Dogs in a while. But uh, hopefully, we can uh, we can put this in our rear view men- mirror. Uh, I, I just don't know what else Omos and MVP are going to be able to do to put them in any type of main event picture. Um, could he get better? Sure. Is he going to get better? Probably not. But uh, Definitely the right winner here, Bobby Lashley going over and ending this uh, this uh, long overdue uh, storyline. KO beat Ezekiel, which again felt like the right sure. decision here. They've had fun all throughout. Kevin Owens is is just one is like higher slotted on the card. I think Kevin Owens should in if if these matches are going to have sort of like cleanish results, he should be the one getting the wins. Maybe if they continue, you know, and continuing on, I could see. Ezekiel getting a fluky win or two over him for sure, but you know, I, I thought the match was pretty good. I thought I, I've enjoyed a lot of this stuff. Like, I it wasn't too long. It didn't overstay its welcome, and I'm excited for more fun Elias Ezekiel stuff that we've <laughs> that we've seen moving forward. Kevin Owens has done a great job. Most other people, I would have been probably done with this a while ago, but yeah. KO does a great job with it, and so does Ezekiel. Man, the interview that he, they had him do before the show was so funny when he was talking about just growing up and they want to be the tag team champions. Can they figure out a way to do this? Like to have Elias and Ezekiel win the tag team titles? Can we get a Sandow back? You know, or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. that's a that's a good point. You know, it's uh 
you know, we forget how good uh, of a worker this guy is, Ezekiel and his brother Elias. Um, I, he's just a good worker. Now, you know, it was a little, a little weird there in Chicago because that type of wrestling smart mark crowd, uh, they like to go heel on you. And there was a lot of support for Kevin Owens there, but it was a fine match. And we're going to continue this storyline here. I think we got a rematch on Raw next week. Uh, I, I, I do think we're going to have to somehow, some way, Elias is going to have to either appear on, on the it's Raw. It's got to be soon Titantron. now. We're, we're getting it, there. It's yeah. got to be soon. We, we've seen we're Ezekiel get- go to NXT. Uh, they did this WWE.com social media deal where he goes to NXT. Uh, he said, man, you know, this, this is where my brother started. And, you know, I got to watch him, <laughs> all this stuff. So it's been pretty interesting here. But now I, I think we're getting to the point where we got to bring Elias into the mm-hmm. fold somehow. You got to you got to progress this now. You know, we've we, they've done a really good job so far, but you don't want to run it into the ground and you have to move it forward a little bit. So the 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 six person mixed tag I thought was awesome. The Judgment yeah. Day. Edge, Priest, and Rhea versus AJ, Finn, and Liv So that was the match on the pay-per-view We'll talk a little bit about what happened on Raw Because things completely changed on Raw But I I love the match I thought it was really good And I, I really enjoyed how much the crowd was into Liv Which is something that you and I have been kind of Hoping for a while that Liv wasn't going to get pushed back down the card Once she lost to Bianca in the or Becky in the title feud, you know, it's like, uh oh, she lost, and now now she probably won't have space. But they've kept her involved with Rhea first in the tag, then they split up, then they've both been in these different interactions. Then Liv again got an opportunity for the women's title match on Raw, and the crowd really seems to be liking Liv quite a bit. I thought this match was fun. AJ got himself busted open at one point; he was like gushing blood <laughs> here, but really cool six person tag coop. Yeah, I think it was this AJ Styles. This was what, his second or third time walking, you know, getting busted open on a main mm-hmm. on a big show. I think WrestleMania, he walked into something or and, and was busted up before the match even started. I was really good. 15, 16 minute match. Um, it, it's good to see Damian Priest get some direction now. Um, Liv has just been uh, a, a hot story to get behind for for the last year or two. And we're always concerned when you're in a title picture, uh, which she was with Becky Lynch, and she had several good matches with Becky, um, and she lost them. You often wonder, okay, well, uh, she's going to go back down to at the end of the line, and you know we may not see her a whole lot. Uh, it's been quite the opposite with her, and well, it should be. She she is a, uh, a star. She gets better in the ring. Her and Rhea are just do absolutely fantastic. Fantastic together, and it was great. To, well, not great to see, but Rhea had some uh, some gear problems. Mm-hmm. Her it was gear a little didn't small. Arrive. Yeah, it was a little small, and she had to make do. And it looks like she's keeping that look because she was uh, she was uh, wearing the same type of outfit on Monday Night Raw. But man, I tell you, for for this finally to get some legs underneath it, we're getting a new member. Ah, man, this went a one eighty. I did not expect to. Uh, for, for Judgment Day to go in this direction What it did on Monday Night Raw So this will be an interesting turning point For uh, not only the storyline But all three members uh, of this new direction That they do in the uh, Judgment Day Rhea is Rhea is so great Because her and Liv They know that everyone oh, yeah. out there Is like super pervy And like sure. watch, like looking at their stuff and, and they play into it 
Rhea loves it. Like she'll she'll pose in certain ways and she'll make faces and stuff just because she knows it's gonna get a, a good response. So I love that. They're they're having fun and and she was the one who posted, yeah, the, the gear didn't show up, so I had to borrow make do and <laughs> she she borrowed some smaller yeah, she gear did. and and uh she she looks good in it. She's in great shape. So shout out to uh all six of them are great workers too. You know, nobody there's not like a down worker in that group. If you, you'd think of someone like maybe Liv or Rhea as or, or Liv or like Damien is like the the least talented worker, and those they're still like well above average workers and really good. So that was fun. And I loved this this madcap moss now. This feels like kind of perfect of who he yeah. should be. He because he's still got the little bit of of goofy in him, but he's way more serious now. When someone hurt him, he reacted how you should. If someone comes at you and tries to personally attack you, even if you're a goofier, not an evil, mean person, you're gonna fire back at them, aren't you? You're gonna defend yourself and you're gonna puff your chest out a little bit. This just feels like real life. Too often we have characters on TV on WWE TV that just that don't seem like they're reflecting real life characters. Madcap Moss now feels more like a real character. I just love this version of him. I thought he did great. Corbin was awesome in this match too, with the tables, and he was teasing. The crowd wanted tables, and he he was pretending like he was going to get one, and then he didn't. And he plays a great heel. And this was exactly what I think needed to be done with Madcap. For him to feel like a really good Middle of the card guy now I think he I'd love to see Madcap be in mid card Feuds now with maybe he's gonna wrestle A guy like Gunther at some point if Gunther beats Ricochet which I think is probably gonna happen You know I, I that would be fine placing For him well, what'd you think of this I, I think he's a star I think they they're even gonna drop the 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 what are we Dropping the Moss moniker part We're going just Madcap I think believe Now we have a new look new trunks Mm -hmm. Uh, He just looks like a star Um, The guy is built like a A prototypical WWE Wrestler Um, they put On a very good match you know for A storyline that has just been blah Just been dragging along You know along for for how long It it just seems like you know Almost a year now I mean, Corbin, like I've said, look, man, I, I've been a Corbin fan for a long, long time. Haven't really liked the happy Corbin stuff. I, I like the lonesome loser better. Uh, you know, 12, 13 minute match uh, in the middle of a of of a Sunday pay-per-view card in WWE. Um, you've you've got to appreciate that if you're both guys and they delivered. It was a fine they match. Did. And I think Madcap now could be you're talking mid car. I, I think within. A year or two. I'm not saying you put a rocket on him, but this guy can be a big time baby face in the WWE. I agree. Body I think so too. type. I think. I I think so too. He's got a great trajectory right now. He really does. And and it's funny because just a few weeks ago, I'm not and I'm not saying like he's a contender for like Roman Reigns right now or anything. But just a few weeks ago, you didn't really feel like there were like contenders popping up. But now you kind of look around and. Well, Riddle's calling out Roman. Drew already called out Roman. Cody's going to at some point be, you know, heading after that. Bobby Lashley is someone who feels like he's actually would be okay to be placed there. So I think people are starting to present themselves now. And Madcap doesn't feel like he's too far off from being someone who you could slot right in there. And and he would feel 
he would feel okay. This was a big win for him and a big character tweak, uh, it, because the goofy stuff was was only going to have a ceiling. He could only get so far with that. Now he feels like someone who could really win a big match and who could be pushed because he could still go back to the funny stuff and just not have it be as goofy. Right, like yeah, he could yeah. use that and bring it out if he needs to, cutting promos and when he's talking trash to someone. But it doesn't have to be the goofy with the laugh and the goofy jokes and stuff. You just know that this guy can can play well. He's like he's a good character. He has talent and he can prove it on the mic. So very pumped for him. Like I would buy some stock right now in him. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I kind of paralleled it with Tony D'Angelo. We were all kind of laughing at Tony D for a while. And this guy has put together some pretty credible matches here over the last couple of months. And the same with Moss. You know, we were all surprised, what, a couple of months ago when Moss got in the ring and, and went one-on-one with Drew McIntyre and, and he worked some other guys. We're like, wait a minute, this guy can really go. So, yeah, I, I definitely I would buy his stock instantly. And this guy is going to be around for a long time. Prototypical WWE-type wrestler. Um, big things uh, for Madcap coming up uh, here in the rest of the 2020, uh, 2022 and heading into 2023. This guy will be on the WrestleMania card for sure. Theory beat Mustafa Ali. I don't, the ma- I thought the match was good and I don't really have a problem with this. I'm, I can under, they like Theory. Theory is someone who they just put the title on. They, they've done, they've put a lot of work and build into Theory. And I really enjoyed the build with Mustafa and the fact that. He's someone who was not on TV for a long time He's come back now in the last month And been given a nice prominent role on TV He's been in some really good matches My worry moving forward is That we just don't see Mustafa anymore If 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 that's the case I'll be a little bit bummed If he's still on TV And they have him in storylines And they can find places for him I will think this is no problem And I'm glad we got Mustafa back on, on TV I just hope moving forward we'll get to see a little bit more of him And it's not a year before he's back And, and kind of just randomly shoved into a feud Because him, him he kind of came out of nowhere And then was like, oh, he's in this US title feud I don't know if I thought he was going to really win this or not But not everybody can be put in every feud and win Right? The last month has been good for him But w- will it be good moving forward? I it doesn't look good for him. Right, that's the uh, that's the problem. Yeah, I, I hope it's I hope it's different. I hope it's it, it's kind of like the uh, the Liv Morgan deal where uh, she was able to bounce back. Hopefully, he can too. You it's know, he perfect, was out. It's a perfect comparison, Coop. That's exactly Man, the way he, I'm seeing it right now. He was out for a long time. Because um, they were screwing him. Yeah, they were just screwing just, him over. They were. He was disgruntled. Uh, he finally took to social media. And started getting nasty And uh, he comes back Remember the Miz was involved in this for a little bit And then there was some pop There was some pop behind Mustafa um, I've had no line, no no problem with this storyline The build was good, the match was good uh, Where do you go with from here with Mustafa? Do you build this guy back up? Is he worthy enough to be put in the money in the bank ladder match? Do, do you put somebody in there like him? Because wasn't you, that, that was supposed to be him, right? Exactly. So I think I think it, if if he doesn't get a shot in that match, his then WWE days are probably over. You're right. Yeah. That's this is a because this is a good moment for him. It is. There's there's an opportunity for him to 
Hey, put him in a qualifying match. Let him win that. Let him get in the match. Even if you're not going to have him win, let him be one of the six or eight guys in there. Show what he can do. Keep reminding people that this guy has got ability. And let him be a guy that's on TV every week, the sort of the way that you have the Mysterios or or Gable and Otis, right? Where you use Mustafa's wrestling ability every week. Every week, you sure. need a guy to go 10 or 15 minutes. Mustafa and Ricochet, though. Even though those guys, and you know what the thing about Mustafa is, he can cut a promo too. Like he actually can he's cut good on the mic, good promos, and he's good on the mic. He just needs a little bit of purpose. So, I I don't mind. I hope he is a part of the roster. Let's see what they do in the next few weeks with him moving forward. The match that people will be talking about for years to come. It's the one of the defining moments of Cody Rhodes' career and and life. Honestly, I mean, people. This is something that will be. When he retires, when there are the biographies of Cody Rhodes, when they do the documentaries and stuff, this is going to be one of the shots, Coop, that they show. Him with the the chest, the bruising, the pectoral completely torn. And it was so torn that it was like, hey, he probably isn't going to even do that much more damage to it because it's so torn. He's going (laughs) to need to get full surgery on it anyways that he's probably going to be out for six months that, you know what, he can... All it's going to be for him is pain How much pain can he tolerate How much pain can he manage when he's out there And Cody Rhodes is an old school guy His dad Dusty Was in the territories He was a booker He put together shows Hundreds and thousands of shows through the years And Cody saw what Dusty had to do He saw what it was like Having to put a match card together Having to deal with talent People in and out People that are head cases Then the fans Want their money back because you can't put a, a match on that you promised And uh card is subject to change And Cody knew that You know what For as big a star as I feel right now There haven't been that many times where I have been In the main event of a show Or a show felt like it was completely Built kind of around me And that's what this show was Cody Rhodes was not able to go In this main event This was the only Hell in a Cell match carded for this show on a show titled Hell in a Cell This was by far the biggest and, and has been the most Interesting feud over the last couple months Since Cody's return It's felt real, it's felt visceral Even though Seth lost in all three of these Seth has done really great work too This match needed to happen Cody knew it needed to happen And man like, I earned a new respect for Cody Here, I think a lot of other people did Because going out there and having a match like he had for that long with that injury, that is just a badass dude. Gino, as good as this pay-per-view was, um, this this match carried this pay-per-view. Um, I, th- this is how a wrestling star carries a pay-per-view. And I, I don't mean to to jump on AEW. But this is what AEW has been lacking since his existence on their big pay-per-view shows. Yeah, they have 13 or 14 matches. Yeah, they have a lot of solid matches. Oh, there's a lot of spot moments. But there hasn't been that one proverbial star who carried a pay-per-view that people continue to talk about. And you're right. Um, This guy's 36 years old. Um, he's had a lot of career moments in his wrestling career. Uh, 
I don't know if any of them will ever surpass what took place last Sunday night. He could win the world title next year at WrestleMania in front of 100,000 fans. Uh, I just don't think that moment is going to be bigger than what we saw Sunday. Because the difference about this is was the visual. I have never – I've seen people – dude, we've watched – Millions of wrestling matches I'm not even millions through the years sure. of wrestling matches we have. I've seen people bleeding, gushing blood, a lot of it in AEW, right? Barbed sure. wire, like like I've seen stuff in New Japan, Mick Foley, Terry Funk, like, you know, brutal stuff. I can't recall ever seeing somebody start a match looking the way Cody did. I've seen people Look that way during a match Or because of the things happening in a match Where they're bloodied up I have never seen someone Start a match with a blatant Like Blatantly brutal injury Like that Knowing it, we all know it The guy goes 25 minutes In the main event and has a fantastic Match on top of it That the, the A couple of things that Cody Has done, and I gotta say like I didn't know Cody had a couple of these levels in him. Uh, there are two things to me so far that have really impressed me. It's the return at WrestleMania because that's a huge moment and it was building and it was leading to that. And there was all this like kind of crap for the weeks leading up. Like he just left AEW. It was sort of weird and not like a positive. And then everybody kept expecting him to show up at Raw and then it. He wasn't and then it it was like bigger than him It was like people knew he was going to be there So there was all this build up And this pressure it was huge It was this huge moment And he has to come out there Be a big surprise He has to hope he's well received And that the people really like him And then after that He's got to go have a 20 minute match with Seth Rollins And have that match be awesome Which he did Like that's not easy The moment after coming out there Normally you come out there on Raw You talk You don't have your match Your match is a few weeks after Then it's sort of settled a little bit He had to come out there with like All the butterflies in the world And then go 20 minutes I didn't know he could do that And then what he just did right now I I thought Cody was a guy That you could always want And always would find a place for On your wrestling roster On a wrestling card I thought he was always a guy That could be like an upper mid card guy I didn't know if Cody could be the guy like the face of your company And lead a company And I do think he can now And even if even if he's not a guy That does that successfully ever Is like the man What he's done in, in these last couple Months I think is more than like it's it's to me It means and is more impactful Than almost anything he's done And that's what you're kind of hitting at Coop that's the difference Between WWE and everything else Is that being big in WWE is unlike anything. If you're a star there and you hit a home run there, the way their machine and the way they promote it and what they do with it and the way that momentum rolls, it's like it just there's nothing like it. He's he's a bigger star right now this moment than he's ever been in his life. You know, it sucks. It it really does um because you just don't know uh what plans they had. Was he going to go to SummerSlam and win the title? I don't know, but I will tell you a couple things here about Cody Rhodes. The sustainability of anything 
uh, especially in professional wrestling, is just very difficult in this day and age. Heck, it's been difficult over the past 30 or 40 years. You look at professional wrestling over the last, since the 80s, there's only been a handful of wrestlers that have had sustainability, right? The Hulk Hogan's of the world, uh, the Stone Cold Steve Austin's, Rocks, John Cena's. It's hard to do. And now you fast forward up to the last couple of years when you have so many other different forms of entertainment. And I'm not talking about all of the other professional sports that are out there, but I'm talking about streaming platforms, any and everything else. What he's been able to do to come back to WWE after what was done to him, the stardust stuff um, that we laughed and mocked. It's not easy to do to come back and to be able to sustain that since WrestleMania and be the star of Raw. You know, Roman's been on there a time or two. No, th- but, but this, he's the this dude. Is, he's this the is dude. Defi- yeah, this has definitely been written for him. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you this. Uh, if you believe the, 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 old, the old verbiage, everything happens for a reason. I can tell you this. When this guy comes back to the mm-hmm. WWE, yep. he is going to be so over. It is going to be very, very difficult to achieve that. And who knows? Two months from now, we could have been burnt out from Coney Rhodes. This it, this might have been. You never know, man. Her, somebody really being know. hurt is never something that you wish or you no. want, right? But him, the way that this injury came about with it happening a few days before a show that he just said, look, screw it. I have to go do this because I'm promised to do it. And I'm going to take the responsibility for whatever happens. If it means that I'm going to be gone for this amount of time, that's fine. But I'm going to make sure I get this done right now. And then we can, we can figure out what we're going to do next. Cause now it's a clean, the we, as we transition right into Monday night raw, because mm-hmm. the first thing that happens on Monday night raw, Cody comes out and he cuts a, an awesome promo And then Seth comes out Looking like Seth is I, I will I, it, was, it was good like it, like it was well done and it was what's needed to done it's, It was a great wrestling angle To write Cody off TV for a while you know But man they do this with Seth so damn much Like <laughs> they want to make you Like they kind of mess with Like they want to make you seem like he's about to become A baby face again And just make him be like the we- Like weaseliest, shittiest heel You know, like they do it with him All the time They Vince must just for sure Not think Seth is a baby face guy Like he I agree, I agree and, and, you No, know, and he might, and you're right And I think he, I think it I think he sort of looks at him Kind of like he looks at The Miz as just someone who we've had him be a baby face a little bit, but what, what maybe it's because his voice or what he's a little whiny or whatever. Like they just, they want Seth to be a heel. This was the moment when Seth could have had a baby face turn. He said, Dusty <laughs> would have been proud of you. Dusty is proud of what you did. And, you know, and he said, you know, he shook the hand and they had the moment. And Cody said, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to heal up money in the banks in like a month. I think I'll be good to go for that. And then we had Seth come out with a sledgehammer and attack him and dastardly Seth Rollins. So I did, it was, it was very well done and it was basic old school. Hey, Cody's got to go get surgery. I think you and I are recording on Wednesday. I believe he's having surgery today, either Wednesday or Thursday, uh, one of these two days. And so timetable for this, what would be, 
the most perfect and ideal is Cody Rhodes returning either right before or at the Royal Rumble, winning the Royal Rumble, and then yeah. being the guy that goes to WrestleMania. And and you know we have the story built in already for him. He's already mentioned what he wants. He got taken out, and now he comes back, and the crowd will be loving him. It just it feels like it feels like they are going to have a a really nice opportunity as long as he gets healthy, right? As long as sure. We could have a couple really cool Like with him and with Big E Coming back sure. soon That people are going to be really excited for Cody I think is a little different Because he, Big E was sort of getting cold When he got hurt But he's a really really well liked person And I think when you have like a scary neck injury Like that whenever you do come back People will be very excited to see you So it could be really cool in the next few months Looking forward to those guys returning And man what a great few days Coop for Cody Rhodes Just yeah, yeah there, was, there was there wasn't a dry eye, I think, in the arena, um, I, you know, during during the promo. I did think it was starting to get a little like, OK, because Cody kept looking at the Titan Tron a little bit. The timing was a little off. And, yeah, and it, it looked a little off, but we didn't expect it. We didn't expect it. You know, even if Cody does come back uh, in a quicker time frame. And it's, you know, I, I don't know how long they're going to hold him out or he, he's allowed to, you know, come back when, when, and what time frame, you know, you have, you have the automatic storyline built in for him and Seth, you know, mm-hmm. again, and it'll be hot again because it'll be six, seven, eight months down the line, but him winning, uh, the Royal rumble is just ideal and then head into WrestleMania season with him headlining one of those nights for the title. Whoever's got the title then, uh, I'm sure Roman's going to have one of them. I, I don't know what Roman Cody does uh, at this, you know, next next year. I don't know yet. Um, but man, when he comes back, uh, it, it's this guy's going to sell some T-shirts, man. Yeah, great stuff from Cody. The uh... We continued on after Cody got stretchered out Or no, he didn't get stretchered out again He made sure he walked out on his own two feet So Cody Rhodes will continue to monitor him It'll be interesting if they completely keep him off TV Do they have him check Like I could see them doing something where They have him do like a weekly promo Yeah, some training stuff Or like, hey guys, here's, here's here's what happened I had surgery here Check in, but don't forget about me I'm not going in Two weeks later, you know Hey, Cody Rhodes here Arm's starting to feel a little bit better They did this with Roman at one point They did this with Randy Orton at one point too They've done it I mean, this is what got Stone Cold Steve Austin over Initially When he broke the neck And they just had him on TV every week And Vince wasn't going to let him wrestle And so do they out of sight, out of mind with Cody, or do they want to keep reminding us that Cody is, you know, rehabbing, rehabbing, and he's coming back soon? I'll be curious to see um, how they uh, how they approach this. We got a recap of the triple threat match from the women, and then Becky Lynch is in the ring, uh, or actually Dana Brooke is in the ring, and then Becky Lynch makes her entrance, and we got Becky versus Dana. <laughs> so <laughs> while while Becky's wrestling Dana to Zawa. Comes out and he tries to win the the twenty four seven championship, or Tazawa runs out. He's being chased, and Dana Brooke w- rolls him up, and she wins the title. And you know, I saw a couple people like, "Oh my god, I can't believe Becky's involved with this." This 
this Becky's not involved with this, right? This was like a segment just to sort of like Becky's an evil heel because I love what she said. Nobody's winning championships in my matches unless it's me. It just was like <laughs> yeah. the stupidest thing, but you could tell she was having fun with the line and like just being this like evil sort of delusional. And she said, Dana Brooke, you're putting that 24-7 title on the line right now. And if any of you come <laughs> in here and get involved, I'm gonna kill you. And she just she went off on him and and then as they're wrestling, um Asuka comes out to distract her and Asuka holds down Becky's foot so Dana gets the win here. Like this doesn't bother me because it's obviously leading to more than Becky involved with the 24-7 title. Becky's involved with Asuka with Bianca now in, in storylines with them. So I actually chuckled at this and I think Becky is doing a good job. The the line or two that she had really about the, the no, nobody winning championships in my matches except for me was a uh, was just so stupid but it made me laugh. That was a great line. It was a really great line. I, you know, it looks like we're uh, we're going back to to Becky and and Oscar. I do find it interesting that Becky has went all dark again on social media. She's blacked out her pictures. She's blacked out her uh, her cover cover photo on Twitter. Um, I, is that a sign? I don't know, but she's been really really good. I, you know. Here's the thing. Becky doesn't have to be involved in the title picture. There's a couple of things that worries me a little bit. I I just don't. We'll get to Bianca here in just a second. But man, are we okay with we've got we can't keep Becky off TV. We have to go. We have to keep her in a storyline because she's just so super over. And I thought Oscar was more over than Bianca. Uh, since returning back. So it looks like we're going to go Asuka, uh, Becky again. Is that something that the fans accept just because they're, they're two really, really good superstars or does this feel forced to you? I don't know. I you just got to play your cards right a little bit. I, I will. Uh, you know what I here. think? I think we'll be okay because I wonder if it will be more of like in the money in the bank. Sure. Sure. Right. And that you're, Cause you're right. If we got another couple months of just Oscar Becky matches outside of the title, it would be fine, but it would sort of, it doesn't feel like the purpose that they would need for their, their level. Like they should be either focusing on the title, trying to get it, like wanting to be towards the top of the card. I think if they're around each other and it's them two and a couple others for the money in the bank, then I'm fine with that. And the, you know what? I, what what you and I have both have always talked about since since doing this podcast. We really like the matches that the Money in the Bank qualifying matches have turned out to be some of the best matches on mm-hmm. Raw and SmackDown. Because they just have a memory. little bit of worth. They yes. make it something matter a little bit more. So if you put Becky and Asuka in one of those matches, I, I'm all for that. But that'd be great. Or to keep one of them out. You know, Becky's got to be in. You would think so. What you, you know? What, and they would do. They would do the. Oscar would win, and then they would have a way where they do a, that last chance match. Schmaz is back where in. Becky yeah. gets in, or she takes somebody out to get their spot. You know, I, I like that. She comes in and wins the thing. You know, and then Becky's got the briefcase. I could really see that, and maybe, and she would. She wouldn't need it, but because where I keep going in my head is I. I keep thinking that we're. Eventually going to get Becky to be the baby face again to go yes. after Rhonda. Yes. You know, like that would make the most sense to me. And she could do it with the briefcase and say, hey, look, 
I'm I'm badass Becky Lynch. I don't need to cash this in on anyone. Like I'm telling you right now, I'm coming after you at WrestleMania, or I'm telling you right now, we're fighting at the Royal Rumble, and I'm gonna beat you. You know, whatever it is. You know, and that was like that was what Brian Dan Daniel Bryan was supposed to do way back when when he won it the first time. He was supposed to be like the good guy who was never gonna cash it in, and he was gonna just have it be at WrestleMania. But of course, they were like, "This guy is not gonna be at, at the main event of WrestleMania." At that point, like he wasn't <laughs> over like that. But that was a uh, that was the initial plan for him. Um, we got to talk about my favorite part of Monday Night Raw next. Maurice. Oh, jeez. Man, Miz is living a good life. It's not God. bad. To be Miz, Maurice looks unbelievably incredible. Yeah, just fantastic. And she is, she is a really good performer. I think more than people give her credit for. And I think because she's so good looking and attractive, that you sort of just think that she's maybe some like kind of bimboy or like, oh, maybe she's just some real. She is funny. She has good comedic timing And she is good in the ring The last time we saw her in the ring She was really good Against Beth and against Edge And she did some great stuff there And she's in the ring And she's talking about how nobody knew Where Green Bay was You know at first and she's like How could we even have a show here in a place that's small Like this like people don't even know where Green Bay You know and then When Riddle Riddle comes out and interrupts The Miz so uh, Miz ta- starts talking about money in the bank Because he's won the money in the bank a couple times So he says you know I, I'm going to go on and win it a third time So Riddle comes out and interrupts him And Riddle starts talking French to Maurice Which was great he's like, Bonjour <laughs> And then he says a little more French And then Maurice like is you know, actually responding back to him And um, he Riddle says that he He's going to come after Roman Reigns He's going to take the Universal Championship away from him And he mentions John Cena Because we got a uh, we got a plug that John Cena is going to be on TV On June the 27th in uh, Laredo, Texas So the, the line Riddle said was John Cena is playing Peacemaker And Miz is playing Homemaker While Maurice drags him around by his tiny balls and, <laughs> That was a great segment And then Maurice if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the segment, just go like type in Maurice on Twitter and it'll be one of the things that pops up. So Riddle says that Miz has tiny balls and Maurice is Mike has average balls, average balls. And she looks, looks over at at Miz and he's like bigger, bigger, big balls, very, very big balls. The biggest ball, the biggest balls that have ever, it was so funny. So funny the way she just kept like looking at Miz and he was like higher, more, more, more balls, <laughs> more on the balls. And she just kept adding. And then Riddle goes, prove it. <laughs> and, then, and then the whole crowd's chanting for Miz to prove it. And Miz is just I, I laugh. I really this set this segment made me just laugh so hard. It really did. It's just fantastic. And their show, you know, Miz and Mrs. It came on afterwards. There there were there were two episodes of the what third season are just fantastic. His dad is fantastic. George Marju, 
or Marjo, you know, Maurice's mom. Maurice's mom is so fantastic. funny. She's so funny. It's just these people uh, are living the good life. There's good genes. You know, it just, it, Maurice, what, what can you say that hasn't been said, you know, already said? It's just what she was wearing and that segment about the balls were just... <laughs> It was A plus. It was WWE. That's all I could say. It was, it was so good. <laughs> Riddle ends up uh, beating the Miz, but Achampa did attack Riddle from behind. Yeah, it was and, interesting here. Was and interesting Miz was kind of like, doing. yeah, and Miz was sort of looking at him like it wasn't, it wasn't like the Miz is doing. So curious where they're going with with Champa here, but he just sort of walked back up the aisle, and we had a quick Miz. Versus Riddle match They they tried to like attack Riddle Before Miz was in his suit And he's flying all over He's in his underwear and <laughs> This is this is good Like this is so the, hilly, man. This is the Miz yeah. Like this whole segment is why The Miz has a Prominent place on the WWE Roster and he's always on TV And even after, year after year After year if he may not have the Best match on the show or On the card He's always going to do something that you're going to leave talking about afterwards or you're going to leave like remembering a little bit and and this time it maybe it was more Maurice but it's just the whole the package uh, not a small package of his uh, bigger bigger <laughs> big, average big, size the biggest <laughs> average he, the average was great he has average balls average balls and she just it just got me got me as uh, we continue along we got the okay I, I hate I hate these we've said it like I love the match, Uso Street Profits, they're great. If we're ever gonna have tag team matches with these two guys, Dawkins did this like top rope up and over that was incredible. He went absolutely flying that we normally see from Montez Ford. So they have the Street Profits win via countout, and then Riddle comes out to celebrate with them. I why can't we just have them beat another team? Yes, that's the number what I was one just contender. about to say. Yes. Like I just because then I I just get less excited about seeing the same match that we just saw. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's really a bummer the way they have gone to away from number one contenders now into championship contenders match or contender what whatever they call it because you know they're not going to win. It's going to be a, a silly finish, and if they do. That gives you really well. Now they've got to beat them again to be the champion. But might as well say this is the best two out of three series that you're we're right. Do they just beat them? Why aren't they the champions? They just right. beat them. I don't like you know, that. I, I don't like it either. And I'm okay with Riddle coming back out because it looks like Riddle now it, it, it is wanting some of Roman Reigns. But you know we still have the Drew factor and we still have the the big Castle show overseas. But these contender matches do absolutely nothing for me. The match was fantastic, but the finish ruined it all. I just, as soon as they say it, I hate it because I feel like I know what's going to happen. I feel like the person challenging is probably going to win in some way, and then they're going to lose when they face them for the title. Yes. I just, I don't like it. Have them win what they did slightly later on in the card. Boom. You have a four-way contenders match for the women's championship. That's. That's fine. Like, they got a number one contenders match. That's fine. Like, that's the kind of thing that I want to do. A four, a fatal four-way match. The winner 
that, boom, they used to do those things on Raw quite often where they would have a four way or a three way. You could put a couple different people in there. You could even put a person that you know isn't going to win in there and, and at least give them a little bit of a rub and say, hey, look, we gave you an opportunity, we put you in a big match, like in a number one contenders match and like a main event on Raw. So I, I, I hope we can sort of tweak that. I, I just don't like when they do the, uh, the contender stuff. We got Lashley. Coming out, cutting a little promo Talking about how he's done with MVP and Omos And going to be moving on And he was interrupted by Theory And uh, Theory Talks a little trash Lashley challenges him for the US title <laughs> Theory I thought said it was funny he said, You don't deserve a title match I mean you beat Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre But you never beat me <laughs> And then he, he goes to take the selfie and uh, And Lashley gives him a big boot So I'd imagine that's a, a direction that we're going to be going in. I think that's that's pretty solid for both of these guys. That gives them something nice to do. And Theory, I don't think should get a clean win over Lashley. I don't know if they want Lashley to win that title or anything. But if you're going to have Theory get some sort of a heel victory over over Lashley, or if it's just maybe these two guys are both going to be in the, in the Money in the Bank, right? And it's not going to be necessarily even like a one on one. Long feud but they'll be feuding In that match It felt a little bit fresh and I kind of liked Them standing next to each other in the ring Going at it a little bit Yeah we have something different from Lashley that we haven't seen In a while and I'm not talking about uh, You know a US title because we've been there But done that but we haven't seen You know Theory really Make that jump up And, and I think this is a big Step up in class and hence The the, the horse racing uh, handicapping angle here uh, He's taking a big step up in class here it, Yeah, I, I don't see Lashley winning this title uh, Maybe they have a title match or two uh, Some kind of screwy finish Maybe they have a match with a winner uh, it, it Is in the money in the bank ladder match Something like that That could be fun But it's definitely something new That I think both guys are really going uh, uh, really uh, to Really going to to respond to really well I think it's something new um, You know Lashley's been You know it just wasn't long ago The guy was the WWE world champion So um, he, he's really Really over as a Face man here in the WWE And I think he's he's really hot again Theories at Weasel Hill I think this could be really fun for both of them We got Veer versus Dominic um, I I still don't know what to think about Veer. Like, I'm not. Com- yeah, I don't know. This is weird. I don't too. like little, him. I don't yeah. love him. I'm not. Com- like, there's something when I see him that I think that, that you could do something with him. I just don't right. like the weak finishes with him. Me neither. Right now. And, and I don't like. I don't like when every. Like, we, we've got to evolve a little bit to how matches are finished. And I think AEW does a better job with that. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't make things as silly or as wonky or like some of their. Characters just don't seem as like dumb Right like the WWE A lot of times make, makes their characters Look or seem dumb it's like hey Veer yeah Rey Mysterio sitting outside The ring you don't don't you think he's gonna get involved You know like you gotta know these things right Oh hey someone's music hits So I'm gonna completely lose focus On the match that I'm in to turn and look To the entrance way and get rolled Up you know as Bianca Belair Being like a very Smart athletic person like, I'm not doing that when I'm playing basketball. If I hear a car drive up on the side, I'm still playing the game. You know, like it's, I don't know why sometimes they just can't be more logical with the way they finish things. And that's, it hurts 
the baby faces It makes them look stupid And if you're supposed to be some like badass heel Like like Veer, I think it hurts him too Yeah, look Wouldn't you rather see him In the Money in the Bank ladder match Than, you know, goofy finishes With, that just don't make sense We kind of liked what they were doing with him It took forever to get him to Raw Uh, Then they had a bunch of squash finishes Which were fun and then all of a sudden, the Mysterios get involved, and it's just been a couple of weeks of what is really going on here. It's just a just a silly finish to another segment that that we really didn't need. I'd rather see the guy in the Money in the Bank attention. We know he's not going to be world champion, but let's elevate him some more. Let him be the you know a giant that has some potential. I, I, you look, I'd rather buy his stock than Omos, but I'm afraid that they, they, they're going to push Omos ahead of Veer. Which it should be the other way around I, I just don't like these finishes with, with Veer at all at all. We then got something that I was not expecting With the Judgment Day I gotta say I like it I like it, I like what happened here I wasn't sure where they were going Finn Balor comes out And they announce Finn Balor is the newest member Of the Judgment Day He shakes Edge's hand So he's standing in the ring With Damian Priest, with Rhea Ripley With Edge and Finn Balor's there And he says that It was a calling He's tired of trying to be someone he's not And he reached out to Ripley and Priest After the match on Sunday And he said they're ready to shed the last bit of limitations That are holding them back Which is you And they all attack Edge And Balor finishes him coup de gras (laughs) And he tries to fight back But they all attack him Razor's Edge through the announce table Rhea Ripley starts nailing him with the chair uh, Balor puts his in Edge's mouth And is doing a submission with the, the bar of the chair Through his face And they hit the concerto on Edge Just a brutal, brutal beatdown I absolutely love this, Coop Because now what it does is It finally gives Finn something to do It finally gives Finn a place And now it looks like we'll definitely have a Finn-Edge match At some point in a feud as Edge Edge doesn't need to be a heel at this point in his career either People don't want to boo Edge They want to cheer him It's cool to see Edge back He was gone for so long It's exciting to see him back Edge is supposed to be the good guy The one that people are excited for He can still be a little evil and crazy here and there But people want to cheer Edge Now they can Finn can be the demon Finn can be the demon with them That's a very good point That's a good point You know I think reality kind of set in a little bit um, In in the storyline When Edge and AJ went at it there, there, There was just something That was missing and I was getting it didn't feel cons- the way it should. It, it should didn't. Happen. And I was getting concerned with this retrib- uh, this retribution or excuse, retribution. I was very concerned about them. Uh, I was hoping to say this it's it starting to go in a retribution type direction where there really wasn't anything. And that's what I was afraid of with the judgment day. I felt like, okay, we have three strong members here. Rhea definitely needed some help. Uh, Priest, nobody knew really what to do with And here you have Edge Who was so popular a couple of years ago Remember when he came out The, the Royal Rumble Just that people pop. went nuts Yeah, and there's, there's no reason for him to be a heel I don't think anyone saw this coming uh, I thought it was bravo 
Uh, I, I felt like the timing was good because I thought the judgment day was where do we go from here after beating Finn, AJ, and Liv, right? We didn't know who was going to be that fourth member. There were people talking about, oh, it could be T-Bar. Oh, it's, it, you know, Bray Wyatt's coming back. The good part about it is now who's going to be the leader of this group? Will it be Damian Priest? Will it be Finn Balor? Could it be Rhea? I don't know. But now there's so many directions you can go with here. Um, it, it was a good, it was a very good night for Judgment Day. Very good the, night. Now all of a sudden, Finn Balor feels like a bigger deal. And very Edge, important. And Edge is someone who instantly you can put in a main event title feud with anyone at any time now. Tomorrow. As a baby face. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, like right away, if you need a, a, an opponent for Roman anywhere, boom, they've got a built-in storyline. I, I don't know what the plans are. But gosh, if they could somehow get the raw title onto Seth Rollins. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what and I'm hoping. Because think about who would be set up for Seth. I mean, you could have Edge, AJ, Cody matches yeah. and feuds. Yeah. Like all that's all that's what I would want Cody to come back to. In a row. That yeah. would be great if if Seth can win the money in the bank somehow or find a way to get that title. And then you've got all of these set up feuds. With a bunch of built-in history for Seth, that would be a couple months in the making. I hope that's something that uh that could possibly be on the table. Omos gets a squash over Cedric, and then you meant as you mentioned at, after the match, the Dirty Dogs. Ziggler dirty Dogs. It was really in. weird. It was. You know? It was, it was like, really odd. I think it was so quickly done that they were running out of time and they were rushing this, that the fans didn't have a chance to react to this mm-hmm. because boom, it happened. And then they took off running. So poor Cedric Alexander though, right? He's this poor guy, man. He, he got squashed in like five seconds on raw. Whew. Now uh, we got, we had a couple matches here just to sort of get the guy. And, and I like this, this was, this is like old school booking. And this is something that WWE used to do. You lose your feud. You kind of have a big feud, you have a pay-per-view And then you lose the feud The next day or next time we see you Let's get you a win over someone else to kind of start Building you back up, so I, I actually like it Like, you get Omos an easy win Just to kind of, if if this is Someone that you still want to build That's the way you do it, same thing with Ezekiel, you had him lose to Kevin Owens You have him come back out, and he beats Otis And and then After the match, Ezekiel gets on the bike Says he came up short against Kevin Owens, but he wants a rematch next Monday. KO comes out and uh, he says, Okay, we can have a rematch on the condition. Only one condition. You have to admit right now that you're Elias. <laughs> he, he says, Okay, you got me, Kevin. I admit it. I admit my name is Elias. And Kevin Owens is just, he's so excited. He's pumped. He said, Oh my God. Yeah. He said, Okay, I, I agree. We got a match next week. And he goes, Man, I can't believe you fell for that. I lied. I'm Ezekiel. And he just, it was, <laughs> it's so stupid, but it just is funny. Like, because these guys are good performers and because they're all in on it, because they're not rolling their eyes and acting like, who's making me do this? They're making the best of it. And we can feel it. And it makes, I, I laughed a lot. And uh, so we're going to get these guys next week uh, in, a, in a rematch. Yeah, and, and what we were talking about moments ago with uh, the Hell in a Cell match, uh, we're getting pretty close to we have to do something with uh, with Elias, and that's funny that you mentioned Damian Sandow because he looks almost identical to build and everything. But uh, you know what? I, I wasn't expecting this to last as long as it did, uh, but all parties involved are good, and you know what? 
uh, when it's said and done, I bet we have a pretty good match between Ezekiel and Kevin Owens again because they had a very good match at Hell in Cell. They did. I bet they'll have another good one on Raw. And they probably get to go a little longer, right? It'll probably oh, yeah. be like a 15, yeah. 20 minute, sure. like maybe even towards the main event, like a big part of the show. So, um, Made me chuckle. We finished up Monday Night Raw with the Fatal Four Way with uh, Alexa, Dewdrop, Liv, Rhea. This is isn't wasn't this much better than having Rhea versus Bianca in a number oh, yeah. one contenders match where where Rhea would beat Bianca for in some schmoz, and then we I just I just like this way better, and it was fine. You know what's cool here? Dewdrop's not doing very much, but she's really good in the ring. And she, because of like the fact that they've actually had her in title matches and in in like sort of prominent positions before, getting a win over her feels fine. And it it's like she's a perfectly good person to have slotted in a match like this if you don't want Liv to take a pin. That's cool. You don't you didn't want Alexa to take a pin. That's cool. So you've got Dewdrop in there. She didn't feel completely out of place. I thought this was probably going to be a win for Rhea, and I'm glad Rhea didn't pin. Alexa or Liv because now those two Can probably go on and be In the money in the bank match It was about a solid main event As you could get Um, It was really really good And there were a lot of false finishes Well there should be And I had a feeling with the kind of night That Judgment Day was having uh, And we needed We needed a heel to go up against Bianca Liv and Bianca is not going to do it you know, I, look, I, I, I'm I'm sour on Bianca a little bit, Gino. I just am. You well, know, it's, it's it's the it's the WWE thing with the it, babyface champion. It's the it same is, man. thing I, I, with Biggie, Dan, Brian Danielson, Biggie, Drew McIntyre. Think about every one of them. They win it. They have a couple. That it's not the matches or what she's doing. It's that she just sort of. Becky and Oscar felt like they were having a feud that she just was kind of a part of, right? Like she wasn't a part of that feud anymore. It felt like after Becky, she was done with Becky. Now, can they find, I think with Rhea and her having a singular focus between the two of them, I'm hoping that we'll get it will it will get Bianca to have more focus, right? Because I don't dislike what Bianca's doing with her matches or her work. It's just, she doesn't have much in there to go and say. Yeah. No, I I, I completely agree. And I, I tell you, I, I would not be surprised that this title switches hands to Rhea. I agree. I think and, it and, should. I think it should. And, and they go back and forth, and, and maybe it goes into SummerSlam. I don't know. I would like to see Rhea uh, kind of jump her. I agree. Uh, beat her down. If she's going to be in a faction like this and, and supposed to be a Billy Badass, then let's do that. And maybe this fires up, as you say, Bianca and, and fires up the WWE universe because I think they're a little stale on her too. And, and I'm with you. The WWE does this with, with baby face champions. We've always said it from day one. It's easy to win that title. The hardest part is to keep that momentum going afterward. We saw it with Britt Baker. We we see it with a lot of people, man. We do. Page, Hangman Page it just happened Hang, to. Hangman Page, it, it, it happened to. So I think this is really, really going to be good. Now, I want this storyline to be built very good, though. I don't want to see them in a match next Monday night. Nope. I want Rhea to beat her down. Yep. I w- exactly. I want her to attack her. I want Rhea yes. to have bring in another girl to help her attack yes. her, Dewdrop yes. or someone, right? Like just you bring They're them off. in, yeah. And, and I agree, this needs to be 
personal These two girls can go and have a fantastic match We know that I want there to be a build and a story around it So that way it makes us all really invested in them And we don't feel I want their story to feel On the level of Becky and Asuka And I don't want to feel weird about Oh, why are they wrestling for the title when you have Becky and Asuka Who are maybe bigger stars It shouldn't feel that way We need to feel like Bianca and Rhea are on that level Because they can be They just need to be presented that way As uh, we shift our focus on over to some NXT Koopa Loop, I'm just going to run through some of the results from In Your House Which I thought was a really, really good show again We had the family, Tony D, Channing Stax (laughs) Lorenzo And Troy Two Dimes Donovan Beat Legato Del Fantasma We had Toxic Attraction Gigi and JC Beat Katana Chance and Kaden We had Carmelo beat Grimes Mandy beat Wendy Chu The Creed Brothers whew, They uh, beat Pretty Deadly They're the new champs and Braun Baker Beat Joe Gacy by pinfall So I honestly think there were Those six matches on the card on the main part of the card The only match That I didn't think was Fantastic was maybe the women's title match And I didn't even think mm-hmm. it was bad It wasn't bad It just sort of felt like with with Wendy I just don't think I ever thought she was going to win And it never Wendy can go in the ring She's really good I don't think they let her go enough in the ring I would have liked to see her Kind of flip the switch a couple more times And have these like two or three minute Really like badass sequences Which she could do They were still having her be a little too goofy Other than that Everything on the show I really, really liked. I mean, the family, when Tony D and Santos had a face off, this crowd was going nuts. I look, uh, they they deliver time and time again. NXT just does. Uh, they had a solid show on Tuesday night, which I thought was really, really good. I did not want to let down after a strong show this past weekend. Um, they just deliver, man. I, I, I don't know how good you could. I don't know what other match you could have picked to start NXT's in your house than the family, uh, the family match against Legata del Fantasma. Fantastic 13 or 14 match. Uh, the women's tag match was fantastic. Really I'm with good. you. I'm with you, Mandy and Wendy Chu. Uh, it wasn't look, like it was bad. It no, was, I didn't it, have it picked up there at the end. It picked it up just, there at the end. And, and all look, the others sort of felt like matches that might have been NXT takeover matches. That one felt like it may have been like a TV match. It just and, didn't and quite feel it. As it big. did. It did. And, and I think it was probably because the build. There's not. There, Wendy wasn't a real strong contender, even like though she could go in the ring. The yeah. storyline wasn't good, but now it, it's getting real interesting uh, with Roxanne Perez. But I even thought Braun Breaker and Joe Gacy was decent, especially there at the end. I thought mm-hmm. it picked up. I, I thought this 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 show really delivered uh, for what six matches. I thought it was really strong. The uh, so yeah, that opener, the family match, awesome. Toxic attraction, beating Katana Chance and Caden Carter. I th- I think Chance and Carter may be the ones that take the titles off them at some point. I, don't I think thought it was, it was yeah. I I thought it was going to be me too. Be Sunday or oh, Saturday. It was really good. And I wonder if. It'll just end up being when they have a contender for Mandy that they're ready for, sure, right? And sure. then they all lose the titles the same night. I think that that'll be probably good. be yeah. what, what ends up happening. Um, and gosh, Carmelo and Grimes, I I feel a little feel a little bit bad for Grimes because he 
was so over. He was doing like the DBOC stuff, the million dollar title, the to the moon, and all of the work he did with LA Knight coming out of that, the stuff for his dad, wanting to win the North American title, the ladder match, all of that was great. And then exactly what we were talking about with Bianca, like as soon as he got that title, people started crapping on him. The crowd yeah, started it, like turning did. on him. It was really weird. It was like why are you turning on him now? He just got his moment. Let's let let's let him have a, a little run with it. But he would come out and, and he would sort of get booed sometimes, or he just wasn't getting the type of reactions and responses that we thought. And Solo Sokoa is now really, really over. The crowd's mm-hmm. behind him. But I feel a little bad for Grimes because I I thought all the work he's done was very good. Everything in the ring has been great. He's had a couple different character changes, and I, I thought every time he's done that, he's he's done really good with it. And I, I'm curious where they're going to go with him moving forward now. Yeah, he got Gallup's hair cut off by Duke Hudson and that little gimmick storyline that lasted a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I, my guess would be he he's he's done with NXT 2.0. Uh, there's there's really not much left for him to do. He's not going to be put in the NXT championship title picture. It's just not going to happen after you lose the North American title. I, I just don't see that happening. I, he's either going to be end up on Raw or SmackDown um, here over the he next couple of weeks. I, maybe the, maybe he would he's... Be, what is L.A. Knight's new name? The, the, the model, Max the, Dupree. Maybe he's the maybe he's he's the he's the new guy for one Friday of the night. male models. He, yeah, he would be to... if he, like if it were me right now, I would love to debut him and have him win a qualifier and be in the Money in the Bank Good and point. not not win the match because he's so new. But let him go in there and show people that this guy can really go, and then you can start to build him. Putting people in these ladder matches are are kind of nice because. They don't have to lose. They can still do some good stuff, look good, and then you can sort of start their build, but let people see what they can do. This guy can go in the ring. I'd love to see him on Monday or Friday night, and I, I agree with you. I think it feels like he's he's done about everything he needed to do in NXT. Not the case for the Creed brothers. These guys are freaking stars. I'm sorry, Andrew Champagne. Whatever you're smoking <laughs> on them. I love you, buddy. These guys are stars. And they're getting better on the mic in just cutting real, serious, believable type promos. They had a video after winning the titles that was great. Uh, like a backstage video that was on uh, WWE.com. Man, I love the Creed brothers here. I I think these guys are stars. Like the, To me... I know it's hard to say it because Braun St- Braun is there, but these guys remind me of the Steiner brothers. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, one hundred percent. How how these guys stay on NXT for the next year is beyond me. They don't need a mouthpiece. Uh, they had Malcolm Bivens for a while. Didn't need him. Uh, they definitely overshadowed him. Uh, there's going to be a split in this group. A fantastic match. Uh, I just look. There was a really, really hot crowd for NXT in your house on Saturday night, and all it did was was help the Creed brothers even more. Um, these guys are main roster guys. Their mom uh, they, and dad were there in the yeah, audience. Man, it's just a feel good story. Two, and they're not your prototypical. Uh, five star technique wrestling. No, it's guys. different, and it's, that's what I like about them. It's because it's it's they're they're like Kurt Angley. 
Yeah, you know, like and and, bec- and it's it's because they're they're real wrestlers too, in that they are trained Olympian, like Greco Roman wrestlers. So their style is a little bit like raw and a little more wrestling like that. They like a lot a lot of stuff that you would see from Gable and Jordan, you sure. know, from and got like inject these guys against the Usos into my veins right now, like a fifteen minute banger where these guys are just. All flying around and we're getting Like strength versus flying Or the new day or the street Profits against these guys where Like Julius is just throwing Montez and he's flying Up in the air like oh I I would I would love it this was the match of the night For me oh 100% yeah And just these guys like They had an extra bounce in their step because it was A night that was sort of built for them for them to Win the titles I w- we were a little bit frustrated that they hadn't sooner, but I, th- I think it worked out well for them. It always does. It usually right? does, right? Yeah, this, yep. this is a good moment for them. And it it felt bigger because it felt like this sort of this show was their show. And th- the thing I even loved the little thing they did before the match where they it was like the Creed brothers over the last two years. Um, and it would go like December 2019. Uh, Julius Creed wins the national the, the national championship in Greco Roman. You know, it was like a timeline. Of everything that's happened for them over the last year And it it said, oh, this is the date That they came into NXT in The Performance Center This is the date that they, you know, got with Diamond Mine This was the date they won the uh, Dusty Classic It was it was just really cool um, and, and well done So, bravo for In Your House The look, the ring apron it looked like the old school logo For Loved In it. Your House And then we got uh, Pettengill On Tuesday night The vo- I think that was the <laughs> The voice of Todd Pettengill giving us like the intro to NXT and telling us everything that happened um, on the uh, the In Your House pay per view, and we uh, we kick off the show with Carmelo and Trick, and you know they they come out and cut the promo because they have recently uh, they have recently won and defended uh, now they're now they're the champs who are going to be defending against Solo now now uh, Carmelo is, and we were they were interrupted by Grace and Waller. Out there so What We didn't get it set up quite yet But we end up do have we end up having a, a main event match Where three of these guys are involved With surprise surprise Apollo Crews Yeah this is awesome this is yeah, so was. Perfect for him he This is what if they want To use NXT like this I'm Very I'm I love it I you You tweak your character you say hey You know what we tried this thing with Apollo we were we were trying this thing with the where he was kind of going back to the family roots. He had like an accent. We were doing the thing with Commander Aziz. You know what? It didn't work. It didn't get over. We tried it. Do we want to force this guy to be that forever? No. Let's take him off TV for a little bit. Let's bring him back down to NXT and let's repackage him and just let him be himself. That's that's all. That's all it was. Apollo Cruz feels like a big star when he walks out on Raw. He didn't feel like anything, and now. I think after this run, you could put him back up to Monday Night Raw, and he would feel again a little bit bigger. the The way they've been using people like this, they ju- we just saw it with Dolph, and now Dolph can be a babyface when he comes back. Natalia is going to be in a match with Ronda Rousey for the title. She yeah. won a number one contenders match. So yeah, th- yeah, and, and you do have use- Dolph as a babyface very much. Yeah, I-, I thought Apollo coming back was great, and we'll pro and we're going to get Apollo challenging Braun Breaker. He's gonna get he's gonna get Breaker over. Hell, I wouldn't even have a problem if they wanted to have Apollo win the freaking title. 
and have a little run like they, did, like they did with Ziggler and then have somebody beat him to have them put him over. I would not have a problem with that at all. We may get that. And I think, I don't know if it has anything to do with Apollo, but I think Commander Aziz has now been also put on the NXT 2.0 roster, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it'll be two faces. I don't see Apollo turning turning heel for this feud. Uh, what's going to happen is, is you're going to see the NXT, that crowd in Florida is probably going to turn on Braun a little bit. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Braun just go full heel. Look, just do the Brock Lesnar, you know, type heel. If fans are not going to like you, just just turn just turn on Apollo attacking. You know, you want this title, you come get it, make him eat it, and uh, maybe he gets over in that sort of way. But I wouldn't mind seeing Apollo Cruz as your NXT champion. Would you? Not at all. I think it would be great. And I I I didn't really think about that with Braun, but you are right. Like, just give me because the the problem with Braun right now is he. His weakness is are the promos and the stories yeah. that he have been in, he's been in, right? Yeah, the Gacy he, has not helped him at all. Like he has to come out there and be like white meat baby face, yeah. and everybody knows that the the company really likes him and is behind him, and so it's sort of like reminds me a little bit about how how Roman was at a baby face at the beginning, right? Where you like you're sort of feeling like oh yeah this is their guy or like Drew McIntyre the chosen one, right? Where people are just kind of like. Oh yeah, we know that you really want to push them, but I I don't think people dislike Braun for his like work or his athleticism or or his look. I think it's just the feuds that he's in and when he talks, he doesn't really have much to say. That's that's interesting. He would be more interesting as a heel. I like that. We got our boy Brooks or Briggs. Josh Briggs <laughs> gets the win. He beat Vaughn Wagner over I'm there. I'm shocked so here. I was shocked. I couldn't, yeah, me too. I couldn't believe that. So um, probably a little little bit of a feud they'll have moving forward. But Briggs gets the, the win over Vaughn Wagner. My Maria. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't know how long uh, Briggs is going to be out, but I could see a six-person tag between these three. I mean, you have two guys and a girl on each side. Yeah, it would be cool uh, to get Robbie in the mix. But it's just weird that Von Wagner is destroying everybody and beating everybody up, and then he loses this match. I wasn't mad. I just it's just inconsistent. It just just very interesting decision here uh, for Brooks. Excuse me, Briggs to get the win. <laughs> so uh, afterwards, we get oh. Man, this this next match. So earlier in the night, we had a little check in with the families, and uh, remember now, um, Legado del Fantasma is part of the family. So they are, uh, they Tony D is in charge of them. They have to listen to what he says. And Santos has a match tonight against Nathan Frazier. This match was awesome. Yeah, it was. This match was freaking awesome. Nathan Frazier is a dude. Like this guy can go. <laughs> And and Santos is a star, and this storyline for Santos is going to make him a big star at the very end. I'm actually kind of surprised he's still in NXT, and I'm happy he is because I think they've been a big, like a big positive to it. But when he eventually comes out of this as the babyface, he he will be someone I can see. I mean, I could see them putting the NXT title on him at some point. You know, with Legato as like a babyface act. The crowd really likes him. And Coop, WWE has forever been wanting the stars, the Latino stars for the for that market. 
They've always been looking because they know when they go down to the southern parts of the United States and they're in Texas and they're in that area, you have a ton of people that want to root for the people that look like them. There's a lot of Hispanic Latino wrestling fans around the world. Lucha Libre is huge and that's why Rey Mysterio is someone that they've wanted to promote and push forever. They tried to do it with Del Rio when he came in. Every time they've had someone that they want to be that guy, Eddie, they put the strap on Eddie when, you know, back then. This I really think he has the ability to be a big star and he presents himself like the the total package in ring, outside the ring. I, I'm really like I know he loses the match. It doesn't bother me because he looked great in the match. But, oh yeah, yeah. And and then Tony on the on commentary with Wade, you know, he's like, "What's this guy doing over here, man? He what's he doing?" Like he just he makes me pop every time he starts talking. It just I, I'm I'm enjoying this quite a bit. And it, a few weeks ago, we were a little worried. Like when there were a couple weeks where we were like, ah, "I don't know about this. I don't know about this." I, I I like what they're doing here, and this match was great. I don't know what they're waiting on for Santos Escobar on the main roster. The dude is a machine, man. He can flat out go. He can talk on the mic. He's got the look. Um, There's just nothing he can't do. The storyline's fun now. You got to give him something to do. I don't mind him losing. Hey, look, man, Nathan Frazier did a 450 uh, off the top rope, a twisting one off the top rope. That kid can go to uh if you're going to put santos in these type of matches and not having to have the title with tony d uh in the mix being part of the family this is fantastic maybe the way you get him up is you know you have some battles with tony d and we have a loser a family leaves nxt war war games right they'll they'll probably it'll probably war games sure and they move up i can see all three of them moving up i think Uh, they should i I think they should yeah it it would work it would definitely work i I would love it we got a quick little promo from zion quinn so i think we're gonna get something with wesley next week and uh and then we got the uh, apollo cruz moment that we talked about where he uh he came out and was talking with Braun Breaker, and he said they're going to see each other around uh, someday. And uh, we get a uh, we get a handshake, and uh, so I'd imagine Paulo Cruz might be one of the next uh, one of the next for Braun Breaker. We then get uh, Joe Gacy talking about how the disciples, I think they're called the Dyad, they're going to wrestle next week. So who do you think this is? Is it pretty obvious? It's the grizzled young veterans, or no? I think so. Yes. Makes the most sense. It would make the most sense here. I don't I don't see anybody else who it would be unless they're just trying to completely introduce someone new, but I think it's I think it's them. Yeah, and I believe so too. I at least he's not in the title picture. I just the problem with Gacy that I have is it just feels like such a Bray Wyatt like retread now. Yeah. And it does nothing. They had a decent match, and then he's back on uh, Tuesday night, which, oh, okay, you don't want to bury his character outright. Now he's going to come back with the two droids or druids. Uh, Yeah, it's a ripoff of Bray Wyatt. The match was better than I thought it was going to be because I really wasn't pumped for it going in. And you you were right when I asked you because you were a little ahead of me when you were watching the show. It it did pick up at the end, and that spot at the end, like Braun is capable of doing some incredible feats of strength. He's like a, and apparently that's real. Like he's like a Cesaro type guy. Oh yeah, yeah. That he's incredibly strong and can do like 
superhuman type stuff So watching him phys- That's what they gotta do with Braun a little bit more Is kind of like what we talk about with Ronda And I think they've been doing that with Ronda Is get Ronda more in the ring Than on the mic Highlight her strengths a little bit more Then and we've at least seen her in the ring a little bit more on SmackDown than cutting coming out cutting promos that she's not really she just doesn't sound good. Like they make her feel like less of a star when she talks. And I f- kind of feel that way with Braun. Also, Roxanne Perez gets the win over Tiffany Stratton. You were calling this one for a while, and her and Cora are uh, are best buds. So you you sort of wonder if that's going to be. Something where maybe you put the two of them in a match with Mandy Or maybe they wrestle Toxic Attraction for the tag titles And then it it some we kind of come out of there somewhere else But she feels like someone that they, they're going to have I think interacting and be a big part of the, females divi- the female division right now Yeah, I, I could see a definitely a six-woman tag between these groups um, You know, you got to think you know, sooner in, rather than later. So Indy's probably going to get the singles match first, you think, right? Yes, yes. Against yes, Mandy. Yes. Is Indy it's kind of funny because I had felt and I thought you did like I thought Cora was gonna be the one. And boy, to they beat dropped Mandy. that quick, didn't they? They did, and they felt like they've turned it. And then Cora had the good match with Natty, which I thought was a big moment for her. And it's not as if they've had Cora off TV, but it almost feels like they've been purposely putting Cora with like other baby faces just to make sure she's getting cheered. And <laughs> and um and now with no Nikita around for a while, I wonder if they had to kind of call an audible on some of their plans. Like I wonder if Nikita was supposed to be someone who wins this and and faced Mandy. I 100%. You can't tell me that she wasn't supposed to win and then go on and win that title. And, no, and no. now I know they're high on Roxanne Perez. I know they are. She's she, but she's what only twenty years old. Do you see her winning the title from Mandy? No, and I don't see no. Mandy either. No, but I could see. I do we know what the injury is for Nikita? It was some kind of like a minor tear to her to her knee, but there was not really anything that that came out. Now the video with Ezekiel at NXT. Nikita's there working out and she she has a conversation with Ezekiel. So whatever she is, she's not laid up with it. So that's a good sign. Cuz the the perfect what would be ideal would be her to come back, beat Mandy and then you got Cora and Roxanne, the best friends and they win the tag titles. Okay, what you have is a sprained MCL. So you have so if, a, it, it, yeah. So she could come back here too you know. far out. That that would make the most sense. Then you Great put the American title bash right coming up next. They announced that on Tuesday night in July. Yeah, yes. you get the title on her on Nikita instead of, and you maybe and have Perez can just you know it's kind of like their money in the bank briefcase. She could well, tease cashing that in, and or she could say Perez will say, "I'm gonna cash. I'm gonna use this and 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 I'm gonna do it." For a tag title match with my friend Cora And we're going like to face that. Like him that. for the tag titles You yeah, know I, It makes a lot more sense because I don't think she can carry This NXT championship Not this yet. young of age right now No and I don't think I And Cora I want I, We felt like that's where they're going But I, she may not be quite ready for that yet either These sure. girls are young Like super young And it's not a there's It's not saying there's something wrong with them If they're not quite ready to be the Carrying face of the, the company Of the division they they may just need to get a little bit more experience there. 
I would I would love that if it was Nikita to come back and beat get you have Indy wrestle Mandy on a TV, you know, coming up in between. You let her have a have a match there. Toxic attraction does some schmozzy stuff. That's fine. You bring Nikita back and Nikita gets the win. That would be that would be great. We then get pretty deadly. Uh, they run into Chase U backstage. <laughs> and they had a funny little interaction there. And then we get a match between uh, Andre Chase, Bodie, and Pretty Deadly. Again, this is exactly what we just saw on Monday Night Raw. You have your champions coming off of a loss on a pay per view. So you have them get a win on TV just to kind of put them back in the win column over a team that they're. They're higher up on the the ladder, and Chase U never will never have a problem losing matches. There for them, they're sort of a funny gimmick. I had no issue with this. It, it all makes sense to me. No, and they're good. They're good. Uh, These guys can it, go. They can go, and that, that's a main roster tag team. They have the look. Um, I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with watching cheesy '80s cover bands, uh, especially like uh, Steel Panther. Out, I think they. They were out in Hollywood and Los Angeles uh, for years and years, and now they're an international sensation. I, I just think these guys can go, uh, and, and it's new. Um, and, and it's new. I know they came in and won the tag team titles, and people were upset, but now we know why. It was set up for the Creed brothers to win uh, at this point in time, and Chase U is over. They, Andre Chase and this little group is over, and anything to get them involved in any type of storyline is good because he can really go in the ring too. So I like this a lot. I did too. I, I like it. Tony D with a little bit of a tease. He uh, he told Carmelo, you know, stay out of my way, or your title and or your title reign will end in the blink of an eye. So that might be the next direction that we're going, and maybe we get sort of like a Carmelo face turn. Sure. And I could see because he's entertaining. He yeah, could he just and he's good. they could easily just. Tweak the character a little bit and he would be a baby face You know and trick would kind of be Like a funny like hype man for him As a baby <laughs> face I could actually see That play play pretty well We got a Alba Fire Just picking up a win over Tatum Paxley So I think we'll, we'll get some sort of squashes From Alba they showed her Her vignette again the other day so They seem at least dedicated to this Character change and we'll See I don't I don't love it I don't hate it it's just sort of there For me yeah, and it looks like Lash Legend jumped her. So it looks like we, we've got that. I'll say this. Um, a, a, instead of just letting people sit on the sidelines, they sure do maximize as much as they can out of this women's roster on NXT 2.0. I'll say that. there There's a lot of storylines going on, even if you're not involved uh, with Mandy Rose or Toxic, Toxic Attraction at all with the tag team titles. And NXT 2.0 has done a very good job of keeping these girls fresh and in the ring. Got Diamond Mind. Uh, they all had a big group hug. Roderick Strong was proud of them. Biggest challenge of their career, and they rose to the occasion. Then we get Malik Blade and uh, Edris Sanofe, who congratulate the Creed brothers, and they give them a title shot next week. And Roderick's kind of pissed off. He says, "This isn't Christmas. <laughs> we don't give out title shots for free. They have to earn it." And uh, he says, uh, "Been a champion countless times, and." You know, now he starts getting mad at him. Now you guys made a lot of mistakes. You're lucky to be champion. So we'll <laughs> we'll get the turn here. I kind of I I'm kind of liking this a little bit because yeah. Roderick Strong is he's great in the ring, but he's always pretty boring. Yeah, that's been yeah. the problem with Roderick. That's the reason why Roderick. Well, that's it. Was Kyle O'Reilly and he Bobby is. Fish. It was all those guys. No, you're like right. That. They were all the same. You're right. You're, they're very good in ring, 
but you don't really have much reason to care about them. I at least am intrigued when he's being like a snarky ass to them. Yeah. Like it's it's at least something. So and he comes he does kind of come off. I think the problem with Strong is that he's a better heel than he is a babyface because he's not all that charismatic on the mic. He's charismatic in the ring. The guy can really freaking go. Like he's yeah. unbelievable in the ring. He I guess he's sort of like kind of Seth Rollinsy in that he probably should be wrestling like a babyface. But his character doesn't really connect as a babyface all that much. He's great when he can be like a whiny little heel because he's kind of got a whiny voice and he, he's, but he's not big, so you don't really want it. That's the, that's I think one of the main reasons why he isn't like a top top tier star because he could be with his ring work. And we finish things up. We got one more uh, vignette for Vinny Vidi Vici Giovanni Vici. So. Uh, this is Fabian Eichner. He's got a new uh, a new character here, so he will be here next week. And then we got an awesome main event, man. It was Solo Sokoa and Grayson Waller versus the uh, versus Carmelo Hayes and man and uh, Carmelo and Trick or, or versus Grayson and Carmelo. So Grayson and Carmelo versus Solo and Apollo. Good stuff here. Really yeah. good stuff And just the One little new edition of Apollo Makes everything feel so much fresh And these matchups yeah. feel fresh Yeah and we're getting some new guys It's good to see what Giovanni uh, Vinci And he was part of uh, Imperium Yeah that was uh, formerly Fabian Eichner yep. Yeah we've got that And it's here look Not all gimmicks and not all storylines work we, we see it every Monday night Every Friday even on Smackdown they just, they just, not all of them could be home runs. But man, we were very concerned about NXT 2.0 with this little silly Nickelodeon goofy looking logo. And the first couple of weeks, we were like, man, this, I don't know about this. But we were trying to, you know, we were trying to put, well, what's that, that old saying? We were trying to put lipstick on a pig. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we were trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit, which we didn't need to. But man, it sure is fun to see some things work out and see how people evolve. And where you don't need all the big name stars, you know, on these extra two hours. But it sure is nice to see guys and girls who were in NXT come back and not only pay homage, but win titles and put people over. And this is about as good NXT 2.0 as you can get. Look, we're not going to go back to the days when it was on the network. It's just not going to happen. They're on network television now. Uh, They're getting... You know, USA to uh, USA Network is happy with this direction. Um, I, I, I'm happy. I, I, I tell you this all the time. I, SmackDown is, is my favorite show. Uh, it's, it's my favorite brand. But my absolute, I, I, I will, I can miss a SmackDown and tape it. But every Tuesday night for two hours, I'm glued uh, watching NXT 2.0 live. It, it, it really has become a fun show every week. It. It's not perfect, but no, it's and got I think that's it's what got I a, like about it. Me too, but it's got a it's got a direction now and it's got a purpose. Like you understand what they're doing now. They're they're not trying to have as much of a third separate brand to go and be what AEW is. They're trying to prepare their talent for the main roster. And and they're doing that 
you you can see it happening and it and it makes a lot of sense with everything that they're doing and so i i'm now feeling a lot better about when people move up about what like their their chances especially some of these new people who you know like guys like Champa or Pete Dunn i'm a little worried still because i don't know if those were Handpicked Vince McMahon guys and gals Right Right. those were still people from like The old guard of NXT That may have a tough time But right now like a Braun Breaker I think when that guy comes up He's probably going to be treated Very well because he's already learned All the things that Vince wants He knows the things that Vince wants How they want to be on TV And so I feel a little bit Better about NXT our friends from NXT moving up and their chances to succeed on the main roster. I thought it was a really good week for NXT, Coop. I did too. I thought it was a really good week uh, for WWE in general. Um, you know, minus the the Cody Rhodes mishap, uh, but they did uh, as about as good as you could with him. And I think this, you know, despite the the, the big mishap, I, I think this cemented Cody Rhodes into the, into the history of professional wrestling. And uh, NXT, solid weekend. Their, their, their standalone shows on the weekend are, are really, really good. Uh, I, I just hope more and more people will, will, will tune in on Tuesday nights because it, 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 it's not a waste of two hours. They, they have some really good matches, and I think it was really important to come off that pay-per-view, that in-your-house show, uh, and, and turn in a strong performance on Tuesday night. And I, I just think it keeps better and better. Every week, is it, is it an A-plus? Absolutely not. But you know what? That's what I like about NXT 2.0. It's a little quirky. Koopaloop, my man. Thank you so much, buddy. We had a lot of ground to cover this week. And uh, next week, we'll talk more about AEW, and, uh, and we'll figure out what's been going on, what's going to be happening with their world title picture. I hope you feel uh, better, my friend. Rest those pipes. And uh, look forward to talking to you uh, again next week, Koopaloop. You got it, man. Have a good weekend, sir. Thank you so much. Make sure to give Chad a follow at the Chad Cooper. Check out all of his work there on social media, and he is a fantastic photographer. You'll always find really great stuff for some of the shows that uh, he's uh, doing photos for, some of the people he uh, he does work for. So give the Coop a follow there, and we'll be back with plenty more. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot to happen on That's What G Said. Coop loop. Big thanks to Chad for helping us out, recording a little early this week. So I did get the chance to watch Dynamite, and we will uh, talk a little bit about it right now. Things I feel a little bit bad for them because they obviously have a lot of their major talent with some injury issues right now. CM Punk is out. They're having to deal with the interim title situation. Adam Cole's a little bit banged up. Seems like uh, Jericho wasn't around. Tonight they had a battle royal to have one the winner of that face John Moxley for a chance at the interim AEW championship at Forbidden Door, and you didn't have, because of either injury or storyline or whatever, basically all of the top talent. So it, it felt like kind of a... It, it was entertaining, but there were noticeable omissions in there. right? We didn't have Jericho, Cole, Hangman, MJF, Wardlow, none of them in there. Casino Battle Royal kicks off the night. Winner faces John Moxley when the winner of that match competes for the interim world title. First five out, Darby Allen, Daniel Garcia, Tony Nese, Lance Archer, Eddie Kingston. The uh, next five, Starks, Hager, Phoenix, Swerve, Strickland, and Keith Lee. And the match was good. Tony Nese gets eliminated. Lance Archer, or Tony Nese, 
gets eliminated. Lance Archer gets eliminated both by Keith Lee. Then you got John Silver, Takashita, Max Caster, Austin Gunn, Colton Gunn. Max Caster, rapping on the way, says uh, he hurt CM Punk. Phoenix and Strickland kind of going at it for a while. Strickland's sort of doing this thing where he's making friends and then turning on him, trying to outsmart everybody. Powerhouse Hobbs, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, Dante Martin, Wheeler, Yuta all come in. Max Caster gets eliminated, or Max Caster gets eliminated. Austin and Colton Gunn get eliminated by Keith Lee. And then Swerve eliminates Keith Lee. The Joker is Andrade. He goes after Darby. John Silver gets eliminated by Hobbs. Daniel Garcia gets eliminated by Kingston. Kingston gets eliminated by Jake Hager. And then Hager gets eliminated by Wheeler Yuta. We have Takshida and Hobbs with a little bit of a back and forth. And then Powerhouse Hobbs and Starks team up on Takashita to toss him out. Hobbs and Starks toss out Dante Martin. And then Phoenix tosses Starks. You get Swerve and Darby kind of working together. Darby eliminates Bobby Fish. And then, of course, Swerve turns on Darby and goes after him. Then Andrade gets Swerve. So we're down to the final five. Yuta comes from behind. He hits a spine buster. Then he sends Hobbs out. Or Phoenix hits the spine buster. Yuta comes from behind and then uh, and then eliminates Hobbs. So I'm just messing up some of my notes. So powerhouse Hobbs out. Final four, you got Phoenix, O'Reilly, and then uh, Kyle O'Reilly, Wheeler Yuta, and Andrade. O'Reilly and Andrade team up. Then Yuta and O'Reilly actually end up working together to toss Andrade and Phoenix gets caught Andrade tossed him before uh, he got thrown out it was O'Reilly and Yuta and Kyle O'Reilly wins now I thought O'Reilly looked really good Wheeler Yuta looked really good did either one of them feel though or did a lot of these guys in this match did any of the final four feel like someone that would have been able to have a legitimate shot in a match against John Moxley or for the world title I don't know and are you trying to make the interim title not seem as big of a deal? Or did you just want Moxley to win? On post-wrestling, John Pollock was talking a little bit about this. And they they have a, a lot of really top talent and a lot of stars. It's almost like they're trying to protect everyone so much. We added a new belt again tonight. The match was good. It just felt weird that we... No Miro. So many of the top stars weren't in here. We check in and uh, JR says that Punk's lower leg surgery is complete. Doctors were happy about it. And we have a new championship. The All-Atlantic Championship. There are so many titles in AEW right now. I just don't know if you... Why would you need another title? I just... I don't think it's necessary. So many titles that are on there, including the Ring of Honor titles. It gets a little confusing as to who has what. There's apparently some trios titles coming. And then sometimes it starts to water down the top title and for a while the AEW title and the TNT title seemed really really important tag titles too and they haven't felt quite as important now we also have so the we have a tournament for the all atlantic championship and the winner is going to be crowned in a fatal four way at forbidden door first up buddy matthews versus pac and pac gets the win that's cool pac was always someone who was intended to be a major player in AEW, but he's had issues with some injury stuff, with some travel stuff when COVID hit, and 
was tough getting in and out of the country. He was someone who was having a hard time. So he's been a little bit unlucky, but someone they've always really liked. Kingston, backstage, he wants a Hager on Rampage. Then Trent Beretta comes out, and uh, Wheeler and Dax want to show that they're the best tag team on the planet. Trent's partner in Japan is uh, shouldn't be with them. It should be on Will Ospreay's Bitch Boys, and then the United Empire comes out, and Will Ospreay comes out. So he's a big deal in the wrestling world. Didn't really feel as big as maybe it should have, and I, I, I wonder... If they're going to go with a Will Os- with a Will Ospreay match at Forbidden Door in a in a tag instead of a singles, he felt like someone that you would maybe want in like a major singles match. But perhaps they're going to use him in a, in a different way. A little backstage promo with Kyle O'Reilly with Shivani, William Regal talking about how uh, you know, they know they've all known each other, and Regal tries to sort of psych him out for the match with Moxley later on. Hangman Page beat David Finley. Finley's tough. I like him. He's improved a lot from what I've seen uh, of him in the last couple years. Another one, Hangman Page said, he wasn't in the Battle Royal. There's a lot he wants to say about the world title, but not tonight. Doesn't seem like he's going to get a shot at a title anytime soon, but he knows there isn't only one world title in pro wrestling, so at Forbidden Door, he wants the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, and he wants Okada. Then Adam Cole comes out. He was on commentary for most of the night. He reminds Hangman that Okada has to face Jay, Jay White first, so Jay White could be the champ. And Cole brags that he's the champ now. He's holding his title, the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament title. And Cole basically feels like we're going to get a match between Cole and Page, and the winner will face the winner of the IWGP Championship. Thinks like feels like that's where we're going. I like both of these guys. I like the matches they've had, but they've had a couple of them recently and I I'll give them the benefit of the doubt though because this feels like something that with some of the recent injuries they may have had to reshuffle who was going to be facing who in forbidden door so I can understand why they may have to change things up a little bit to have it make some sense then uh, Shivani interviews Wardlow in the ring Wardlow said he didn't want to be in the battle royal because he knows that Punk is the champ so if he's not beating him, he doesn't want the title yet. So you had one of your own guys say they didn't want the title? I don't know. Is that? I don't know if that's a good thing for trying to make this interim title feel important. Wardlow felt like a bigger deal here than he did last week, and he said he wants to go after the TNT title instead. He doesn't like what's been happening with it. He feels like it's diminished. So Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and Dan Lambert came out, and looks like we're going to get a match with them coming soon. Backstage, the Young Bucks talk about how they want a shot at the titles because they've uh, had a couple wins recently, but the Hardys walk in and remind them that the Hardys beat them at double or nothing. Christian Cage walks in with Jungle Express and says he doesn't think either of them deserve a shot. He also says Jungle Boy got pinned in his hometown, so they're going to try to get their wins back. He says next week for the World Tag Team titles, Hardys versus the Young Bucks versus Jurassic Express in a ladder match. Ooh, next week, three-team ladder match. Hardy's Young Bucks, Jurassic Express. Fingers crossed. Hart, Jeff hasn't been all that healthy. They're getting a little bit older. This could be really fun, but let's knock on wood and hope they don't go too crazy. 
Linda Rosa versus Marina Shafir. I like this match a little bit. They were going at it pretty like physical, hard hitting. Kind of came out of nowhere to have an AEW women's title match here, but it wasn't a bad outing for uh, for either of these women. Then after Marina Shafir attacks and Tony Storm came out and make the save, and uh, so Tony grabbed the the title, but looked at it for a minute and then handed it over. So Tony Storm perhaps as uh, one of the next contenders for Thunder Rosa. Main event: John Moxley versus Kyle O'Reilly. Before we got that, we got Jade Cargill promoting the upcoming AEW Rampage match for Red Velvet, and then we got Moxley, Kyle O'Reilly. These two guys are going to work hard. Kyle O'Reilly's really good in the ring, and they've been giving him a little bit of a push lately. They've been getting behind him a little bit more. I just didn't think anyone felt like he was really going to win this race. Uh, win this race. Win this match. So Moxley gets the win. It's going to be Moxley heading to Forbidden Door, and he will be facing one of the uh, winners of a New Japan match at Dominion. So they'll be mentioning the the winner and who Moxley will be facing for the interim AEW World Championship. And uh, we'll pass that information along to you, like everything we get here on That's What G Said. We'll have Koopa Loop back to talk more next week on That's What G Said. And that'll do it for this episode. But don't forget, folks, we have a lot more coming in the next few days. Um, early in the week, we'll have Obi-Wan. Parts 3 and 4 recapped for you. Doctor Strange, Deep Dive, that's already in the books. We'll have more Louisiana Downs coverage for you for Monday and Tuesday. So make sure to check back in in just a few days for another episode. Good luck this weekend in the Belmont and all of the, uh, the wagers that you have. And Joey, take it away, my friend. <laughs>